Hello, everybody, and welcome back to... The Yeah. <laughs> now we chill. Anyway, this is, uh, this is a podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network, where our patrons pick a topic every single month for Whitney and I to do a top ten list for. We each do a top ten list based on the criteria that we decide. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And uh, people just call me Whitney Seibold, which is enough. Frankly, yes. And this month, we're doing something a little different. Normally, at the Iron List, not so much by design, it just sort of happens this way, mm. the lists have been the best movies. Like, the best movies that were film noirs, or the best fantasy films, or the best movies with ridiculously long titles, that kind of thing. Uh, this Iron List is a little different. In this Iron List, the quality of the movie isn't the most important thing. Mm -hmm. What matters is the quality of monster. <laughs> because we're talking about the best movie monsters. The monster itself even if the movie stinks. Now, I don't really have a lot of stinky films on my list, but I, these are, I do. <laughs> some of these are films that wouldn't end up on lists otherwise. Yeah. Or maybe not, unless it's a very specific list. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about those. Whitney and I are both big fans of the horror genre, as well, I think long-standing listeners will probably know. Horror or just movies with monsters. Not every not, not movie every. with a monster is a horror movie, and that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Although a lot of mine are. But, but we are fans of, yeah, of horror movies. I, I would say the majority of mine are technically uh, horror movies. Okay. Uh, yeah. I've, I've always loved monsters. Uh, I was the little kid who loved monsters. I was mm -hmm. the monster kid. I drew monsters. I invented monsters. I came up with names for monsters. I scared my friends ah. with my obsession with monsters. Uh, I suffered really horrible nightmares as a child. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were always about monsters. So maybe that was my way of coping was sort of roll, rolling with my beasts. What was your what mm. was your as a child? Because mm. I know you like monsters, but one of the reasons why we like monsters is they're scary. Mm. What was when you were a little kid, regardless of what age, that's subjective and that's all up to you. Mm. What was the movie monster that got under your skin the most? Uh, well, I like so many about my age saw Toby Hooper's film Poltergeist at far too early an age, and that is just chock full of scary shit. Uh, that no kid should see. Uh, there's Agreed. May, I would say most notoriously, but there's a lot of most notoriously's in that movie. There's a scene where a fellow rips off his own face. That's the one I still uh, can't believe they got a, they got a PG-13 for. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, it was like bleeding into a sink and ripping chunks of meat like, off of his face. Skeletons? Yeah. Okay, fine. Skeletons are skeletons. Maybe we can look the other way on skeletons. Yeah. The guy rips his own face <laughs> off. There's a, a big monster that comes from another dimension that's sort of like big and yeah. gangly that sort of hangs out in a doorway that's really it's a terrifying. ghost of some kind of creature that doesn't exist. Yeah. It's like really, really freaky. Yeah, they, they filmed it underwater, so it's all flowy. Uh, there's, that, of course, that uh, terrifying clown doll. Yeah. Uh, fuck Pennywise, you know, this, this clown, <laughs> clown really scares you. And then, then, of course, a tree in the backyard comes to life, reaches in through a kid's window and like grabs him and tries to eat him. That tree's messed up. That, yeah. yeah, so a, a lot of that. A lot of that from Poltergeist from, oh. probably got under my skin. Uh, for me, the monster that got under my skin the most when I was a kid, and I'm giving this a special shout-out now because uh, he didn't make my final list, mm. uh, was Chucky. Ah, yeah. I had recurring nightmares about the doll from the Child's Play movies, and now they're called the Chucky movies. Uh, that doll scared the living shit out of me. And here's the thing. I didn't even see the movie until I was in my 20s. The commercials were enough. 
it was this they they did a really really good job of bringing this like little my buddy mm. type of doll to life in such a way that it just looked really unnatural and freaky and yeah and he was a homicidal maniac who wanted to kill mm. you and everyone you knew um a lot of respect for chucky um which actually brings up a good point the criteria that we each have for these lists, mm. we get to decide what that yeah. is. And we're not even deciding it together. Whitney decides his criteria, I'm deciding my criteria. So I think it's worth noting off the bat, mm. what is a movie monster? And what is the difference between a movie monster and, say, a movie villain? Mm. Uh, for me, and this is something that is, I don't think it's clearly defined in any dictionary anywhere. Uh, when I was making my list, I decided that in order to be a proper movie monster, mm-hmm. one, it can't be just a guy who kills people. Yeah, no humans. Hannibal Lecter is a monstrous human being, but mm-hmm. he's not a monster. That that was a, a criterion of mine as well. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't. They can be human shaped. Mm-hmm. They but, could have been formerly yeah. human, or yeah, and, and a, I think a couple of on, on a couple on my list were like mutated human beings, but yeah. they can no longer. Like they're at least fifty percent no longer human. Yeah, I think that's I think that's important. Um, I think one of the things that defines a monster mm-hmm. is its otherness. Yeah, it's uh, you you. It may be sympathetic, and I find that's true for a lot of monsters. Is that there's some aspect of their uh, existence that is, if not tragic, although many of them are. Uh, at the very least, we can see what it would like be like to be them, mm-hmm. and. Um, Sometimes it would really stink, you know. Like uh, another a monster who didn't make my list just because it's so obvious. I try not to fill my list with obvious ones because we could be here all day just doing Alien and Predator and all this. Um, you don't need me to tell you the Alien Xenomorph is one of the great movie monsters. You don't. Yeah, you you like, got that one. Uh, but like one of the ones that came very very close was Frankenstein. Okay. And the original Frankenstein monster by, by Boris Karloff. I guess he's not the original, but you know the one everyone the, knows. Mo- the most famous. Of, of the 30s versions mm-hmm. He's a tragic figure He's mm-hmm. he's hideous to the people around him Even his own creator And as a result everyone disregards him And thinks of him as Incapable of emotion even though mentally he's a child mm-hmm. And he Actually does have emotions And he is picking up on everything people are telling him And when people respond to him In a horrifying fashion mm-hmm. So are you saying this was necessary or unnecessary? For I, this I think monster? it's a factor, but it's not important because okay. there's also a lot of monsters who are just, you know, rampaging beasts. Mm. And if you're a rampaging beast, my only rule is this: you can't be a real animal. Yeah, like yeah. you could be and maybe a giant, maybe a giant-sized animal, maybe, but you can't just be the shark from Jaws. I, I never, I don't have any giant animals on my list mm-hmm. either. I think a, a an animal attack movie, uh, and. And a large animal movie is not the, quite the same as a monster movie, unless you're dealing with maybe something like the Deadly Mantis. That's yeah, more of a monster gi- really movie, yeah, like a gigantic insect yeah, or that's, something. That's the line here. It can't just um, be like the boar from Razorback. Yeah, like that's a exactly. big, that's a really big boar. That's a scary uh, boar, but that's not. I wouldn't call that a monster. You have to go to like kaiju territory to start and, qualifying. Uh, this may be a bit controversial, but I've always considered dinosaur movies to be animal attack movies. More than monster movies. I was debating this as well, and for mm. a while on my list, I had the Velociraptors specifically from Jurassic Park. Okay. And the reason why was largely because, A, Velociraptors were a species of dinosaur that literally no one talked about before Jurassic Park came out. Right. They were not 
they were not considered even like that kind of raptor like dinosaur mm-hmm. mostly people were talking about like a dinonychus they weren't really talking about <laughs> velociraptors until that movie popularized the velociraptor and since they were created by mad science i was mm-hmm. gonna cut that slack but then it got bumped down to my honorable mentions and just mm-hmm. that's that's all that uh, i'm also giving bonus points for creativity Okay. Um, something that kind of blows my mind. I mean, a lot of these things we can sort of take sort of take for granted now because the movies have been out for so long. But if you like go back to the original conception, you think to yourself, "Well, that must have been weird." I'll give some bonus points for that, mm. and I take away points. <laughs> I take away points for a great monster that has been sullied in some way. Like they oh, over-explained okay. it, or maybe it's not scary anymore because they made it into like a good guy or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, like, and, and I feel that way about uh, about the xenomorph. Like, you, yeah, you go that's why it's not the, on my list. Yeah, you go back to the original, and it wasn't even called the xenomorph. For, I think they didn't invent aliens. that term until aliens, which uh, is just the classification. And, and, it's and not it really was, a name. And it, and it was a longer name too. It was like xenomorph. Pejorative or something like that. They, 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 it's a xenomorph. The, the, no, it had like a longer Latin name. Like mm-hmm. that. That was the, the name they gave it. Yeah. Or a Greek Greek medical name. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, by the time we're getting into like alien versus predator, mm-hmm. and they're just sort of like creating alien eggs out of people's bodies, just mm-hmm. sort of on an assembly line. It's like they well, lose some of their power, don't anymore. they? Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel about the predator. Now that we know that all they were doing was like coming to Earth in order to like colonize us by creating super DNA out of our best hunters and I'm like stupid don't care anymore <laughs> I much more I much preferred it when if, if, if we just mysterious if we had stopped with predators yeah. predator would have been safe because I don't yeah. think even the alien versus predator movies ruined predators I think predators no, are still kind of a neat creature kind of the same. Um, but like yeah the predator kept predator off my list you know, it's still cool I still like them you know, but we, they kept them off the list might I suggest that we wa- we rewatch movies too much Mm-hmm. And we become obsessed and fixated on little tiny details that are actually not important. Yeah. And we become curious uh, in a critical sort of way about the origins of some of these things to the point where people actually make the origin stories, which actually robs the original thing of its dramatic power. I mean, that's not unilaterally true, but too often it is. Generally true, yeah. Too often it is yeah. true. I'll grant you that. Um, I also uh, decided uh, one more thing. I mm. did not go with a particular class of monsters. So, for example... I didn't. I, uh, zombies aren't on my list, but if I did put zombies on my list, it would be specifically the zombies from one movie or franchise. Or, I wouldn't or, just pick or one, generally zombies. Yeah, like um, I was really tempted. I didn't put it on my list, but um, Lionel's mother from Dead Alive. Yeah, that's a good one. Like she's just a zombie throughout most of the movie, but by the end, she's like turned into this like twelve foot tall monster thing yeah. with gi- gigantic monster face and Yeah, she's her own yeah. thing by the end of that movie. That, that's yeah. that's sort of a monster. Yeah. It's a big gross goopy icky thing. If I were yeah. to pick a zombie, I would probably pick Bub from Day of the Dead. Oh there you go. Which is a great creature, don't get me wrong, but like and I think and I think if we're defining like the class of creature in terms of like vampires, werewolves, that kind of thing, for me I do think the ultimate movie monster is the zombie. I think it is distinctly cinematic I think it is incredibly evocative. You can use it to tell almost any kind of story. And bonus points, cheap. <laughs> so there's no there's no like there's no like divider between like the high quality and the low quality zombie movie. You can make a very cheap zombie movie and have it be fucking awesome. Uh, there, I've seen so many bad zombie movies. The bloom is sort of off the rose for zombies. Again, I still think uh, at its at its core, the idea is strong though. I I, I suppose, but I yeah. think we can have a, a moratorium on zombies for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
that zombies are not on my list and nor are vampires i figured yeah. they were a little too human they were you know just intelligent people that can could communicate with you no. it's like okay they're immortal and they drink your blood yeah. in most versions of, of vampire stories but they're essentially just wicked people at the yeah. end of the day and um, I, I don't like that so much when I, i'm thinking I'll, about monsters i i almost i almost put it on my list and they'll, they'll be on the runners up list uh nosferatu because that's at least a monstrous version of yeah, a vampire. Yeah, like, like he's the play. Yeah. And certainly that's one of the most iconic movie monsters ever. But mm. again, you don't need me to tell you about that one. Yeah, uh, if, if you, you know, if you haven't seen it, you know mm. you need to see Nosferatu. And if you have, mm. you know how great it is. All right, so uh, with that in mind, is, is there anything else that we left out? Um, any other criteria? Any other uh, no, noteworthy things before oh, and, we start the conversation? And only one of my monsters mm-hmm. is science fiction-y to the point of being a little bit tech-based. Mm. And maybe you can you can shoot it off my list if you want to. But I, I, um, I, I, there's a couple that are on my runners up okay. that are tech based, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be oh, well, too well. Why don't I start? Snickety about I'm gonna that. start with this one because this okay. is uh, this one kind of I don't know what made me think of this monster, but uh, I this is from a short film that only played in theme parks called Captain EO. Oh, uh, weird choice. Which okay. was uh, and it was just loaded with monsters. It was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It was produced by Scorsese, uh, and I think Spielberg had a hand in it as well. Mm. And it was There's a lot of imagineering going on. Yeah, and it, and it was uh, one of the. Uh, it was shot in 3D, and it was anaglyph 3D, which was at the time not really common. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like one of the things that really kind of brought it back. I think anaglyph goes way back, even back to the 50s. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, it was non-anaglyph. It was Polaroid. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was confused uh, for a sorry, second. I was, I was waiting you to get your point. I wasn't anaglyph was the, is the red and blue. Yeah. Polarized is the, the gray one that, that was yeah. actually looked a lot better. Which, which then, yeah, that existed for a long time, but it was like really cost inefficient for yeah. theaters so they just went with the cheap ones and yeah so yeah, why 3d didn't the, the, take off for a really an- long time anaglyph is the cheaper version yeah that's the one they went with but it was uh, also like this like 3d experience and you would like feel the mist on your face and that was like a big to do wasn't it uh, not not captain eo captain eo was just Mer- a 3d movie I, I, until, i'm only going off of my own memory uh, yeah, it wasn't like, until they started introducing other things like honey we shrunk the audience mm. That they started to add like a few other things, okay. like they'd spray mist in your face. I saw Captain Neo a couple of times as a kid, not since. So I, oh, okay. I, this is all. This is gonna um, be very vague for me. This is a, a short film. Star. It's essentially a Star Wars knockoff with Michael Jackson in the Han Solo role. It's mm-hmm. really bizarre, and it's a musical because it stars Michael Jackson. Of course. And, uh, and Angelica Houston, the bad guy. And, and Angelica Houston is the bad guy. And Angelica Houston plays, uh, the, her, the name of her character is just the Supreme Leader. Mm. And she is this, like, monstrous villain who lives on a planet somewhere and Captain EO has to defeat her in some abstract way. I don't think the story <laughs> is really clear in Captain EO. It's all about the spectacle. And there's a lot of really great monsters and costumes and robots and stuff. There's a little critter that flies and it, like, can... The 3D was so good, it would fly, like, way out of the screen toward the audience to the point where, like, little kids would try to, to grab it. I remember that, yeah. But uh, the Supreme Leader was this weird, bony, kind of H.R. Giger-inspired creature with, like, really long fingers. And when she enters, she kind of lowers out of this aperture in the ceiling, and she's connected to all of these tubes and hoses, and it's like the bottom half of her body is, like, wired up into... The system. It's like very Borg, Borg-like and very Geiger-like, and uh, I thought she was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And uh, at, at the end of the film, uh, Captain EO, through the power of Michael Jackson music, shoots blasts of rainbows at her and turns her into a more recognizable Angelica Houston, like, nice. a, a, like a, a purple sundress. Yeah, now that she looks more nice and human, she's a good person. It's a little... Symbolic. But, uh, yeah, it's yeah. symbolic. It's symbolic of geocentrism but whatever <laughs> I'm just gonna throw, I'm not, it's not the most yeah. important thing to talk about I'm, I'm but I'm going to throw it out there I'm not going to get offended about geocentrism because we haven't met anybody else yet the, so premise, of, know, the premise of the fiction in which I bring it up as a critique yeah. is fundamentally based on the concept of us meeting other people yeah. and so I feel like if you have the imagination to imagine other species but you don't have enough imagination to imagine that we aren't inherently superior to them I, that always rubs me the wrong way. Mm. But anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked the Supreme Leader. All I right. thought she was really badass and scary. And we would talk about how, how cool she was. She was the thing we kind of took away. That little mm-hmm. flying critter that we tried to grab. Yeah. And the the Supreme Leader from nice. Captain EO. So, um, yeah, I wanted to start with kind of an obscure one. That's a good one. I like that. I'm also going to go with an obscure one to start with. And not only obscure, but brief. Okay. Um. A lot of the monsters that are on my list are monsters that we get to spend a little time with, hmm. you know, get to understand a little or maybe get a good look at, get a really, really good look at. But every once in a while, there's a monster that's only on screen for a very short amount of time, hmm. but it makes a enormous impact. And this is a movie that not a lot of people have seen. Okay. Uh, but the ones who have tend to dig it. It's a movie I'm incredibly fond of. I think it's one of the better H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. Hmm. It's called The Resurrected. Oh, okay. The Resurrected was uh, directed by Dan O'Bannon, who quite famously wrote Alien. Mm. Uh, And it's an adaptation of, I think it's The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. Case of, yeah, that's the name of the story. I almost almost called it The Strange Case of Charles Dexter Ward, but I was conflating it with Jekyll and Hyde, which is a similar story in some ways. Um, The plot of the film is a private detective is hired uh, by a woman to investigate her husband. Her husband found out about an ancestor who looked just like him. And was an alchemist in, like, the colonial era. And was, like, burned at the stake for doing evil shit. And uh, he has become completely obsessed with, like, reliving those alchemical experiments. And, like, finding Mm. ways to do weird shit with, like, weird salts and chemicals. Ah, gross. Um, It's basically a private detective story. And you know it's going to be horrifying. But the movie keeps it from you for a long time. It's It's all about, like, waiting and waiting and... Is this shit going to pay off? Yes. Yes, this shit is going to pay off. Every single time we see one of the monsters of the film, the quote-unquote resurrected, Mm -hmm. it's repugnant. It's (laughs) really vile and gross. And uh, there's this amazing bit uh, towards the end of the film where they're actually like in the underground lab and it's super dark and the flashlights are failing and shit, so it's super spooky. Um, They find uh, like a a jar of like salt. It's like someone who's died and been prepared in exactly the right way. And they just pour just a little bit of it on a, on a table. And then they pour a little bit of this, like, you know, reagent from reanimator on it. Mm. And then it comes to life in this gorgeous kind of stop motion effect. Uh, and it's like really mutated. It's like a hand, but like, it's also got part of other body parts on it and it's walking around and stuff and it is not happy. It exists like it's really (laughs) fucked up. Uh, and then there's a bit where the lights go out and they're, you can't see anything. And then all of a sudden when they finally get a flashlight on, 
it is looking at one of the scariest things I have ever seen in a movie. <laughs> Real, and I know I'm building it up a lot, and I appreciate that you're gonna if you watch the Resurrected, which can be a little stodgy as a movie. I think it probably if it were made to do, it, it could be remade and look better, but I don't think the monsters would look better. Um, I that monster scares the shit out of me just to think about it. Mm. I saw it at a young age. I've revisited it since. It is a great moment. It comes out of nowhere. You don't know what you're going to be fucking looking at. And it lives up to the hype. Uh, and again, maybe I'm building it up a little much. But for me, that is maximum monster. We worked really, really hard to create something that would scare the crap out of you. Mm. And we only showed it for like a few <laughs> seconds. Mm. The level of restraint needed to get maximum impact out of that monster is incredible. And there's other really cool effects in that movie. Like the, there's a climactic sequence involving a skeleton, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> but for me, it's that one f- flash in the pan monster. That's wow. just, just always stuck with me. And I had to give it a, had to give it a spot. Yeah. There, there are a few monsters that, yeah, they only appear on screen for like a little bit or they make a noise or they say mm. something really kind of terrifying that sticks mm. with me. Even if the, the movie surrounding it or even the sequence it's from is really, really bad. Mm. Uh, did you ever see the anthology film Necronomicon? Yes. Uh, Jeffrey Combs played H.P. Lovecraft. And he just read separate stories. Yeah, he's like he's like in like an arcane library, and he's mm-hmm. reading through the Necronomicon. And mm-hmm. each story in the Necronomicon is part of the anthology, which is weird that there's like stories about modern day cops in it, but whatever. Yeah, there's uh, one of the stories is about the military, and they yeah. have to they break into an alternate dimension, and there's these weird bat monsters that are sucking yeah. their brains out. Yeah, it's based on uh, Whispers mm-hmm. in the Dark. It's not yeah. the best one in that one. Uh, no, but there was a bit where they sort of like knock down one of the the bat monsters and it sort of like falls on and it, it looks the weird thing it's like a, yeah. like a penis with wings it's a really bizarre looking creature yeah and uh and you know as, as the the marine or the military person is about to run away the, the monster just sort of yells out sarah like the name of the character oh. and, and for some reason that really freaked me out like it was able to <laughs> just say in very clear voice a human name it's like oh shit yeah it turns out like they're using our minds to breed it's like oh shit <laughs> Uh, I'm really fond yeah. of. Uh, didn't quite make my runners up, but I, it's it's worth mentioning here in this context. Um, you ever see uh, Lucio Fulci's The House by the Cemetery? Oh, I think I have actually. Yeah, it's it's, it, it's a movie. It's been a while. It's yeah. a movie that is all mood, like it's all creepy all the time. I've seen it multiple times. I don't know the plot. <laughs> it's just super so, confusing. A, a lot of those Italian movies are notoriously difficult to follow. A, a lot of like the plots of like The Beyond, House by the Cemetery. These are scary ass movies. The plot. A little hard to follow. But there's something in the basement of this house. Mm. And anytime they show any part of it, sometimes it's just the eyes, it just makes you go, God damn it! Holy fuck! Don't do that! Scary shit. <laughs> anyway, what's your number what's your number nine? Uh, let me see here. What's another what's another good number nine? Mm. Uh, let's let's stick with something a little bit more vaguely tech based. Okay. Because uh, this next one is an alien. Okay. Uh, according to Whitley Stryber, it's real. Oh, okay. Communion. Yeah, the 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 Greys from as as depicted in the film Communion. Uh, I've actually never seen the movie Communion. Have you read the book Communion? No, I'm I'm familiar with it, but okay. I've never I've never seen it, so I don't know. Is 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 it good? It's good. Okay. Yeah, Christopher Walken plays Whitley Stryber. Uh, Whitley Stryber uh, wrote a book in I think it was 1980 or mid yeah. early to mid 80s. Yeah. Uh, called Communion, and it detailed his experiences, which he uh, claims to this day are 100% true. 
that he was abducted by aliens, uh, as you see in the X-Files. Um, there was a, a brief while when, like, alien greys with the, sort of the big heads and the big black mm-hmm. eyes and the skinny bodies and who would abduct, who abduct people off this planet and yeah. perform medical experiments on the ship and then redeposit them elsewhere. All of this sort of myth, the sort of urban myth around space aliens was considered sort of like f- fringe culty stuff. Yeah. Because people actually believed it. You could, only, it, you could find only yeah. find books about it in New Age stores. And, yeah, new, yeah. And, and people who discussed this thing were, uh, it seemed like they were talking about something very dangerous. Yeah. You weren't supposed to have this knowledge. No one, the, the, the men in black will come yeah. get you. Like back and, before the yeah. men in black were like fun, kooky characters. And like the, they were actually like threatening people who would come in and like prevent like news about yeah. aliens because like the most important thing in the world is that we have to keep aliens a secret because if people knew that aliens were real, mm. they would change everything. And nothing has happened. We found out aliens were real. The government just flat out said aliens are real. And everyone's like, eh. Yeah, we figured. (laughs) Whatever. It's not the 90s anymore, old man. Let's Uh, talk about Space Jam some more. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did Uh, the Monstars make your list? (laughs) No. (laughs) Can I count the movie Space Jam as a monster? It's your list. (laughs) Uh, But... Uh, yeah, so Whitley Stryber wrote this book, and that was still sort of seen as this weird uh, legitimizing of this weird fringe belief that these aliens yeah. were real. And uh, yeah, he claimed it was real. They made a film of it, and there is a, a sequence early in the film when he, he experiences his first abduction, when you can tell that uh, Whitley Stryber is sort of like pinned in a chair. He's like sitting in a study, and the door to the study is open, and we can't see into the hallway beyond. And you can, and like the camera's zooming in and like the sound is getting much more intense and like he's sort of frozen there. And then all we see is the side of an alien gray's face sort of like peek around the edge of the doorway. We see it's like Uh one single black eye and it's the most terrifying fucking thing. (laughs) And we get to see them a lot more explicitly later in the movie. There's actually other aliens and that it's all falls in line with what he wrote in the book. He actually goes onto the ship and like shakes hands with aliens. It's all like very clear after a while. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting oh, but, how, like, the alien, the, the quote-unquote the greys, uh-huh. uh, the version of alien life, became pretty quickly, within only a couple of decades, just rooted as everyone assumes this is what aliens look like. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everyone, if that if they, if they aliens showed up and they looked like that, everyone would be like, well, yeah. yeah like, I, no one would be weirded a, out and be like, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of that stuff when I was a kid. I tried to get, like, unsolved mystery books from, like, the back corners of the library. Uh I remember watching the TV show Sightings, yeah, uh, hosted by Tim White, which is all about yeah, it's like I saw a UFO and here is like actual accounts and here's people who have never met and they all drew a picture of the alien that abducted them. They all look kind of the same. And yeah. So all of that stuff was really kind of kind of scary. And, and I nobody thought, talked about how there was probably all night terrors. Well, I, I just thought, um, sure, why not? It's true. Yeah. I, it's fun to believe that it's true. And then the X-Files came along, they started sort of like seeping into popular culture, and then cool. all, all of the threat was gone. Well, I, th- I, think, th- I think what really like killed the, the Greys as like this like oh. eerie thing was more than anything else, I think it was the movie Independence Day, where the aliens mm. came down to Earth and they were this conquering force and the, the, uh, uh, the UFO opened up. And inside was this really hulking, weird insectoid thing with tentacles. And you're like, oh, uh, shit, that's a cool looking alien. And then we found out that was just an Iron Man suit for one of the greys. 
Uh, more or less. Yeah, yeah. like they did not um, the original design, yeah, but if, pretty close to it. Like clearly, see, that's what uh, they're evoking. If you want to see good movies about alien greys, uh, yeah, watch Communion yeah. and watch Fire in the Sky. Those yeah. are two, two films about the same sort of phenomenon that was really, really uh, yeah. sort of creeping through the, the popular consciousness. Fire in the Sky is uh, really creepy. It's really a good movie. It's really, um, it's, it's, it's like I feel like almost the rest of it's just okay, but everything on the ship is mm. so fucking freaky. Well, before they get the, the the first three quarters of the movie, in fact, the whole movie is just. This guy is abducted, and it's about what happens back at home. Yeah, nobody believes when that nobody, he's been uh, abducted. Everyone we, thinks the other yeah, guy's the, killed him or the something. The audience did see the ship, though, so it's like yeah. an irrefutable that he was taken by an alien yeah. craft, and yeah, nobody believes them, and uh, Robert Patrick is in it, and he, yeah. a lot of, everybody gives a lot of really good performances about sort of yeah. being a pariah in this small logging town. But then there's a climax on the ship, and... You that, see, yes. allegedly, <laughs> what really happened to the guy yeah. who got abducted, yeah. and yeah, it's... Really vivid yeah. and twisted so, and, and scary. I, I wanted yeah. to go back to communion though, when alien greys were kind of eerie and scary mm. and threatening, and kind mm. of this this wonderful monster of of the real world. See, I, until it was, you know, their, their teeth were taken. Again, out. I didn't see communion, but from my my introduction to the alien greys was mm. actually like a one two punch of Spielberg. It, the ending of Close Encounters of the Third oh, Kind. Oh, yeah, Alien Grays. Where, where they're not really... Th- they're intimidating and they're strange and they did abduct mm. a child, but they give them back and stuff. Like, it seems like there's just like this weird yeah, co- misunderstanding or whatever. They're cool. Like, so there's I, I, those I like, dudes. I like Close Encounters. I feel like it's not a complete movie. Like, yeah. they, they put a lot of thought and energy into this sort of this alien stuff, but I don't feel like they build or conclude in any kind of meaningful well, it's not, way. It's not so much about the aliens as it is about uh, people, like uh, people who feel unfulfilled yeah. and are looking to escape, outs- yeah. looking to escape, looking to outside themselves for meaning. Um, someone who like has like a religious experience, but there was experience instead of being religious is about sci-fi. Um, and then uh, if you think about it, it's, it's an extrapolation. It's not a one-to-one. But clearly, the alien from ET has a similar vibe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think ET humanized that look a bit. So by the time I got around to, oh, these are scary aliens, I'm like, are they? <laughs> eh. And a lot of it just depends on which ones you see first. Yeah. Um, for my number nine, I also go to an alien. All right. And uh, sometimes the design of a monster is so good it doesn't matter where it's from. And yeah, it can yeah. absolutely just get a toehold into the popular consciousness, and you might recognize that monster, and you have no idea what movie it's from. I saw at a used bookstore once uh, a book. It's the book that the movie Enemy Mine was based on. This is not the movie I'm picking, by the way. Right. But Enemy Mine's a cool film. It stars Dennis Quaid and Lou Gossett Jr. Uh, as uh, uh, soldiers in space from rival sides. Dennis Quaid's human. Uh, uh, Lou Gossett is like a kind of um, he's a drac. He's a drac. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to describe species. the creature, kind of like this you know, kind of, reptilian, kind of, yeah, kind of a lizard guy, kind of a reptilian creature. Uh, and they're from op- opposing sides. They're supposed to fight and hate each other, but they're stranded on a weird, in, uh, inhospitable planet together, and they have to work together to survive, and they form a close bond. Um, really good movie. Former Under cl- people don't talk clo- about don't just form a close bond. But, well, I won't well, they, say, they, I won't they, say they, it's, happens, it's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. But like, it, it, I, I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to ruin the movie because I feel like it hasn't talked about it enough. But it's a really good movie. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, it was based on a book. I'd never see. I've never read the book. And I was at a used bookstore and I saw on the spine, oh, Enemy Mine. I always wanted to read that book. And I picked up the book. And this is clearly published from before the movie came out. And on the cover was a human dude, Enemy Mine. Mm. And 
the metal lunan alien from this island earth <laughs> they didn't even pretend to make it look like a different alien oh, it's funny. just and i'm now imagining this islander uh, the, the enemy mine but instead of a drag it's the oh. metal lunan uh, mutant from yeah. this island earth uh mutants from the movie this island earth we've talked oh, about this wonderful iconic great corny, corny great monsters. monster yeah. great monster love this monster uh we similar talked your, about similar to your thing insects larger, larger of course, course. We talked a bit about This Island Earth, I believe, when we uh, did our best movies that were turned into MST3K episodes, Mm. in which we defend this movie. Is it an all-timer? No, but it's better than its reputation would suggest. It's perfectly enjoyable. Yeah. uh, Two and a half years in the making. Wow. That's what it said on the poster. Nice. It's like, are, are, you, are you bragging? Is that or? good? It feels like you're just behind schedule and you're trying to make the most of it. Uh, but the plot of this Island Earth, if you missed that other episode or you need a refresher, um, is uh, uh, there's a scientist and he is recruited to be part of a mysterious think tank from a mis- by a mysterious person who has a mysteriously large head who clearly isn't an alien. Uh, and uh, it turns out that he, he and his other fellow scientists are beginning to suspect that they're part of some weird government or alien conspiracy and then they're spirited away off into the stars and it turns out that they were trying to reach out to humanity because their planet was dying and they get there just as the planet is dying and everyone's freaking out buildings are exploding and shit and the workforce that they genetically engineered on this planet is also starting to go a little haywire and kill people and those are mutants and they are cool looking they're really tall they're like seven feet tall They've got pincer arms. Uh, they're very thin and gangly. They've got really giant black eyes. And uh, like many of the best aliens uh, in, in movies, uh, they've got brains so big, they're like pushing out against their skull. And like, you can see like the brain lines, yeah, like you know, the, like the brains Mars, have. The Mars Attacks Martians. Yeah. yeah. Just like that. Yeah. It's fucking cool. It's, <laughs> and they wear really nice slacks. They do. <laughs> They just put them in pants. What? <laughs> For propriety's sake. Come on. <laughs> Why would you put pants on an insect? I don't know. because it's. I've, I've never looked at an insect and thought, wow, that thing needs pants. Then, sir, you have never lived. I suppose not. <laughs> Maybe I don't have the imagination. Anyway, it's just a really cool, distinct, odd-looking monster at a time mm. when... A lot of monsters in movies were a little half-assed. You know, sometimes they were really cool and had a lot of stop motion, and I got a couple of those on my list. But um, a lot of the ones that were just people in suits, they just didn't look very good. Mm. And the Metal and Aliens, they look cool. So much so that that design just kind of kept getting recycled. And you'd see that monster in a couple of like TV shows and shit, and they would use that design, like I said, on the cover of novels. I guess mm. they didn't copyright it very well. Uh, but um, I love that design. I love mm. Metalunan uh, mutants. I think they're one of the more. Every time I see them, I just go, "Yeah, those <laughs> things are cool." I, I wouldn't say that you, you said that a lot of monsters were half-assed. I wouldn't say that the Metalunan mutant is necessarily all ass. No, uh, it's not whole it's, ass, it's, but it's it's, it's, it's it's three quarters it's, ass. Yeah, it's it's, it's seven, put, seventy-five to eighty percent ass. They put some effort into it. Yeah. Okay, they wanted to make it look interesting mm. and un, uh, in, 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 inhuman, even though it's clearly a guy in a suit. Yeah, um, I, I love that. I love that damn thing. Right. <laughs> I think that thing's cool. <laughs> anyway, moving great. on. Um, let's see. Do I have any other aliens? I, I have. Technically, I, I have. I have a couple more aliens actually. I have no other aliens. I have, none, of my, I have, none of my other monsters are from space. Although technically, two of mine are. One, uh, one of mine does have an extraterrestrial origin. Okay. Um, because uh, 
suddenly and without warning, there was a total eclipse of the sun, and there was a beam of light that beamed down to Earth and hit a little plant and made Audrey 2 <laughs> from uh, the 1986 version, specifically of Little Shop of Horrors. I didn't put uh, this on here because I knew you would. Oh, well, thank you. I, I dig this film a lot, and uh, I, I know it's highly beloved by people my age um but uh, i really really love little shop of horrors i think it's, it's got really peppy music no it's wonderful and uh the the plant grows to enormous size uh the special effects used to realize audrey 2 are impeccable that and impressive so cool. to this day it's all done with forced perspective uh, a little bit of stop motion mostly it's puppetry yeah uh the film was directed by frank oz and he knows puppetry and yeah, yeah he used frank oz was the voice of miss piggy yeah. and he worked extensively with jim henson yeah so, uh, yeah, uh, he was a puppeteer as well. So he knew how to uh, employ a lot of interesting puppeteering techniques to make this plant look like it was alive. There's a lot of servos in, in sort of its mouth, and we can see its lips twitching and its tongue flapping around. And the lips actually match the words. It is a talking plant. Mm. It's voiced by Levi Stubbs from The Four Tops. Oh, it's got one of the great movie voices. <laughs> yeah. Audrey, too, in... in feed me crab and feed me now. Yeah, yeah. That, that voice is mm. so fucking... It's great because it's a beautiful voice. He's yeah. got a beautiful singing voice and he will sing. Mm. But at the same time, there's it's so... Um, it's so intimidating. There's just got he's got so much force of personality because ultimately, Little Shop of Horrors is about like an abusive relationship where like mm. uh, Rick Moranis is doing anything he can just to basically keep the only person who's ever like claimed to love him happy. It just happens to be a carnivorous plant that he has to feed <laughs> human flesh to. It's a really sad story, actually. Yeah, um, the original but he's, cut, the original cut had a tragic ending as yeah. well, but they. They, didn't, didn't test well, so they shot a happy ending. I, I think I, the happy ending is actually I, fine. I, I think they made maybe the best call overall, but I'm glad that other footage was found and we can see it. But, um, yeah, he's he's perfect. Mm. <laughs> Levi Stubbs gives a perfect vocal performance in this movie. And yeah, Audrey yeah. 2 looks fucking amazing. The original Little Shop of Horrors, you don't need to see it. I'm going to say it right no, now. You, no. you, you absolutely can. I will never tell you not to see something. But I will say this. If you say to yourself, man, I really got to get around to that... It's not that good. Honestly, like it was <laughs> the whole point of the production was actually was to see how fast Roger Corman could shoot a movie. Uh, some say it was a bet. I think he was just trying to do it like challenging himself. Yeah. It was like shot in a couple of days and it you can really tell. Mm. It doesn't feel like there were a lot of takes. And it's a comedy film as well. Yeah. Like it's about a, a, you know feeding people to a plant, but yeah, it's they they make a lot of really just horrible jokes that yeah. aren't funny. No, it doesn't uh, work. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of the original at all. I, I forgot who played C, the name of the actor who played Seymour in the original, but he's clearly just doing like a, a Jerry Lewis shtick. Like he's knocking off Jerry Lewis mm. uh, to, to the point of it, you know, probably being actionable. Hold on, I'm seeing if I can find mm. who played um, Seymour was played by an actor named Jonathan Hayes. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Hayes is pretty much just known for that movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was also. Oh, but he was also. He was in a lot of Corman shit. He was yeah. in Gunslinger. He was in It Conquered the World. Okay, was Viking a, Women of the Sea Serpent. Yeah, he was the he guy was who was constantly regular. doing the Jerry Lewis bet. Yeah, yeah I'm uh, a Grimald warrior. That guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and nobody in the original Little Shop of Horrors went on to do anything. No for, one, except for Jack Nicholson. And, Jack uh, Nicholson went on to have a somewhat interesting career. Mm. If you know your history, Jack Nicholson. Uh, you, you may not have heard of him. He started in a film called Wolf in the mid nineties. <laughs> And, and 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 anger management, and anger management. With Those were the Adam two. Adam Sandler. Those were his two. Those big are only two big movies: <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors, Wolf, and Anger Management. That's all Jack Nicholson is known for. Yeah. Uh, 
we're assholes. Yeah. But I, I love Little Shop of Horrors. I love Audrey too. I love the voice of Audrey too. Levi Stubbs didn't have a really big acting career, mm. even though uh, Audrey too is such a notable uh, creature. He also played a really wonderful creature in an animated series called Captain N, the Game Master. He was Audrey. It was no, it was, it was Mother Brain. He was Mother Brain. Yeah, Mother Brain. Yeah. If you uh, Captain N, the Game Master shitty series like really bad it's it's a it's a nintendo commercial in in series it's about it's about a dude who gets sucked into his nintendo Nintendo and has to team up with the princess simon belmont mega man kid icarus Icarus, back when that was considered like one of the major nintendo properties and 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 like a human-sized game boy yeah (laughs) like season two it was like the cousin oliver the show like fuck off game boy and they had to fight off like the main villain was mother brain from metroid and they gave mother brain levi Stubbs's audrey 2 voice which was pretty fucking sweet honestly it was the wisest creative choice that show made if it made any creative choices yeah it's close as we can say i i I love that as a kid it is such crap it is it is not and good. the game master is not a good show. It is not good. Anyway, we got to move on. Um, uh, I'm going to move away a little bit from uh, aliens for a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, uh, but I'm going to stay in the realm of sci-fi. Uh, and this is one that I was. This was this is pretty close to my number one, but I realized I couldn't take it away from something else. Uh, but we're going to talk about. And frankly, this is true. This is both versions. I'm going to cut this. There's a re, there's original and remake of this. All right. They're both great. Okay. The Fly. Oh, all right. Sure. The Fly That's... fucking rules. Um, yeah, by the end, the the films are, well, I guess the original 1958 version of The Fly mm-hmm. uh, is about a doctor who transposes with a fly immediately. Yeah. And starts to, like, his his arm and his head transpose with yeah. that of a fly. He, he, he's created a way to transport matter from one place to another. It's a teleporter. Mm-hmm. And what happens is he's experimenting with it, and he decides to experiment with himself, but a fly flies into the machine with him, and instead of... The machine of, gets confused. Yeah, and decides to gene splice them together. In the original movie, he gets the head of a fly. He's still got his human brain, but it's starting to deteriorate and become more fly-like. Yeah, yeah. And he's got the arm of a fly. So he's racing to find the fly so that he can try to find a way to reverse this process. And he's got to do it before he loses his mind and becomes a monster. Mm. Awesome movie. It's a good movie. It's yeah. so good. It's all. It's a lot the, of it's told from the perspective. Of, really, really good. A lot yeah. of it's told from the perspective of his suffering wife, and nobody believes her, and they're mm-hmm. just desperate to try to find this one fly, and which leads to this amazing ending, which you probably heard about. And if you haven't, I'm not going to ruin it for you. See the original. It's great. It's genuinely tragic. It's really, really cool. And then David Cronenberg. It, it had some sequels, but David Cronenberg remade it in uh, maybe eighty six. Eighty six. Okay. Yeah. David Cronenberg remade the fly in eighty six. And both films from 86. That's true. Little Shop. Was there you go. 86. I think I actually might have another one on here, too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, David Cronenberg remade The Fly in 1986, starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Mm-hmm. And it's the same basic setup. They're not married, but other than that, same basic deal. Uh, and with the new modern visual effects we have, or had at the time, we got the most vivid grotesque human transformation sequence. Like I know like a lot of people would go to like American Wolf in London, which is mm. a great bit, but the gradual devolution from Jeff Goldblum to a giant fly monster mm. <coughs> is repugnant and fascinating. He David Cronenberg is obviously notorious for his employment of body horror in many of his stories. He is fascinated by the human uh, relationship to our own bodies. 
and how those bodies are are sources of power and pleasure, but, but often but immense betrayal and immense well, betrayal because yeah. eventually they turn on us and they turn diseased, cancerous, or just old, and these are. That that becomes a source of mental anguish yeah. for us, and that's what the fly is ultimately about. It takes that fundamental premise from the original, which is a great pulpy, old fashioned monster movie, and turns it into a really emotionally resonant, very powerful allegory for dying slowly of of a deteriorating disease. Yeah, it's fucking gross. There's so much goop in this movie, <laughs> and it's really potent and amazing, and mm. it's one of my favorites, and it's I was, so great. I, I was torn as to like. How how much of a monster movie the fly is because mm-hmm. so much of the movie is just about his his bodily deterioration. Mm-hmm. He's a person <laughs> for most of it, and then you get to the final scenes of the movie, and it yeah becomes one of the sickest, most horrifying movie monsters ever. And yeah. uh, especially at, especially after the accident. But I think I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think what happens though is that he starts looking at his body as though it is monstrous. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really, really powerful when mm. you go through a, a, a an extreme physical transformation, or when you feel as though you are. Yeah, that's scary. And I think um, I think a lot of it is based on perception. But I think by the end of the movie, he's a proper monster. Yeah, by yeah. old fashioned standards, mm. um, I think it works. Um, the Fly Two with Eric Stoltz, not a good movie. Really gross though. It it is wonderfully gross. It is really like the, twisted. The, the, the monster and the gore and the yeah. like the horror effects yeah. in that movie are pretty amazing. There's a trigger warning. There's some gross shit that happens to a dog in that one. So mm-hmm. a lot of people can't take that. I no. totally get it. If you can though, there's it's worth seeing for the gore alone. Mm. The rest of the movie, it's a pretty crap sequel actually. Yeah, it's it, yeah. it's about the fly's son and yeah, uh, it has really... like fly powers. It yeah, does, it's, 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 it it kind of ruins it honestly. Yeah. Like it, and it retroactively hurts the original a little bit if you think about like how important it was to Brundle Fly to think about like him having like a child who may or may not be like this is my one chance to actually like mm. live on and not be a tragedy and. It, I feel like they just muddled that whole bit. But in any case, uh, see, see the original and see the original remake. They're amazing. Yeah, uh, what else you got? Oh, I have a, a few monsters here that are also like transformed humans. Okay. Uh, in uh, in uh, Hellraiser 2, which is one of my <laughs> favorite horror movies... Same. Uh, Same. There is. Uh, we're introduced to the conceit that the Cenobites that were introduced in the first Hellraiser, these sort of demonic sadomasochist freaks, uh, from the, the original title of the film was Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave. So Clive Barker was trying to go for something a lot more salacious. Yeah. Um, the, the film is actually Hellraiser sounds classy, doesn't it? Uh, and in fact, I would even though that's like a pretty damn gory movie and it actually looks really cheap some of the gore effects like you can tell it's like rubber skin uh, so good though uh, but yeah like the rebirth sequence is one of just cinema's great triumphs of special effects or gore effects at least yeah. and um, in the second film we're introduced to this notion that those Cenobites were actually human beings at one point in their mm-hmm. lives and they became so obsessed uh, in the first film, it's just so obsessed with sex and sexuality, with yeah. the ultimate physical experience, that pain and pleasure become one and the same, and you turn into these sort of pain demons. That's why uh, the, the lead Cenobite has nails in his head. It's just feeling yeah. pain all throughout his face this entire time. It's like strips of flesh peeled back and held open with hooks on their outfits. Right. Um, 
in the second film, they expand that to uh, not just sex, but just obsession in general, being so focused on something that you kind of lose yourself. And in the world of Hellraiser 2, you are bodily altered. Yeah. You go into hell, not to be tortured to death, but to accept torture as sort of this extreme experience. Yeah. it's really dark and twisted, and I love this movie. Yeah, like you're supposed to, you're supposed uh, to like enjoy hell yeah. in a way. Like it's really and, weird. And uh, th- one of the main characters, Doctor Chenard, played by a, an actor named Kenneth Cranham, uh, is is obsessed with like the the boxes that open up into hell, mm-hmm. and he's been studying hell. He's, and, and he's a yeah. sadist, and he's a yeah, he's, weird, he's a, horrible, he's a brain, abusive a man, brain surgeon. But yeah, he's also torturing people in the basement of his uh, hospital. So yeah, he's just this horrible dude who's just into hell. Yeah. And he ends up going into hell and is pushed into this machine where he's just going to be perpetually tortured. Yeah. It's this terrifying minute. It's like these uh, steel wires press into his face and this thing goes down his throat. It's really gross. Yeah. And then he reemerges later in the movie. <laughs> he's accepted this. Do, do you remember Do you remember the line he has? He said, uh, yeah, he emerges and he's like, he's all purple now. And he's got yeah. all this like, like wicked like, stuff all over his body. And he just sort of steps out and says, to think. I hesitated. So <laughs> this is actually the des- yeah. this is actually the concept of like Chenard, and he's like at the end of like a large tendril thing. Yeah, this, this big tendril like drills into yeah. his brain and like lifts him up off the ground. Yeah. He's kind of floating around, and these tentacles come out of his hands. It's an image. It's- I, I, I have mixed feelings because I actually think like uh, his first movie was good, and the second movie was really really bad. But I do appreciate that J.J. Abrams added, like, a big horror influence to his Star Wars movies where, like, he had, like, some phantasm elements in Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And when he brought back the Emperor and Rise of Skywalker, a plot point I do not agree with. <laughs> it's, it's but a, It was a dumb idea. But when but they yeah. brought him back, I did appreciate immediately. I was like, oh, my God, he's, he's inspired by Dr. Chenard and he, Hellbound Hellraiser he, 2. He's, he's, seen, he's seen Hellbound Hellraiser 2. That yeah. part's kind of cool. I'm yeah. not going to lie. That's a I fun mean, way to do it. The, the Cenobites are all pretty cool. Like, they're really great design. They're really yeah. striking. Uh, the, the lead Cenobite looks really cool. Uh, the Chatterer is, like, his lips pulled back is really cool. Uh, in Hellraiser Bloodline, there's a pair of identical twins that are sort of, like, twisted they're together like, in like one body. together yeah. with, like, a winch. And they're, like... Like, like, like a winch kind of, like, twists so, their faces together. It's so gross. That there's movie's some, so underrated. There's so there's a lot of really cool design in... in, in even in some of the, the crappy straight yeah, sequels, like, there's yeah. some some kind of cool monsters like in those the, What ones. was that last one? Revelation? No, Revelation. What was the last one they did? Uh, Judgment was the last Judgment. one. Judgment. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like it, but there's mm-hmm. some cool monsters in it. I like Judgment better than a lot of the other straight It's better made than a lot of the other ones but it also recycles the same bullshit like cop plot yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the, also the it cop, adds the cop plots and also they start bad. adding like heaven to the mythos and i'm like no i hate it every time you make this catholic i hate it it's not about catholicism <laughs> it never it's not about, about that and all the yeah, i have issues with that but anyway but, yeah, but the, yeah. the, the chenard cenobite is a standout among all of these cool monsters yeah. this guy that sort of floats on this giant tentacle and uh and the tentacles that come out of his hands have eyeballs on the end, or they can have knives, or in a really bizarre sequence, like, they bloom flowers. It's just this yeah. really surreal monster, and I really dig it. I mean, yeah. I love everything about Hellraiser, Hellbound nice. Hellraiser 2. Uh, I'm gonna, for my, for my next pick, I'm actually gonna step out of the horror genre a little okay. bit. I mean, this Island Earth isn't specifically horror, but the monster's supposed to be scary. And here the monster's supposed to be scary, but I don't think it's supposed to be a quote-unquote scary movie. It is, however, I think a really gorgeous movie and a movie that I think gets often overlooked in a certain filmography, but I'm a big, big fan of it, especially the director's cut, the actual cut, eh. Mm. Ridley Scott's Legend. Oh, Darkness is 
I, I don't like Legend, but I love Darkness. Darkness is awesome. So Legend is a movie from 1985. It starts Tom Cruise and Mia Sara and Tim Curry. And the mm-hmm. plot is real basic. Uh, Tom Cruise is this, like, wild child living in the woods. And he's in love with a young woman who in the theatrical cut is just a young woman. But in the director's cut, you realize she was supposed to be a princess. Because it's a fucking fairy tale. Mm. Why did you cut that? Um... He's in love with her, and she uh, uh, is in love with not so much him as his, like, free lifestyle, living amongst the woods, living amongst all these enchanted creatures, and everything looks like it's right out of a music video from the era. Um, And he takes her, in order to sort of wow her, he -hmm. takes her to see unicorns. And unicorns are considered, like, the most pure and precious and unsullied of all creatures. They're, so naturally just, she touches just, one they're just, they're just horses I know they're she touches horses. one uh, They represent shit But like they, they, <laughs> they, 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 yeah. they, She touches one oh. And just coming into physical contact With such an impure creature As Mia Sarah Circa 1985 So she looks so <laughs> angelic But it's like that's the whole point Is humans are fucked inherently They're just terrible people um, she sullies a unicorn and that like brings darkness upon the land. And now all of a sudden the living representation of darkness played by Tim Curry has kidnapped her and he's trying to seduce her while Tom Cruise is working with a bunch of fairies to try to rescue her and save the unicorns. Uh, real simple. It's not complicated. It's a little weird. I like the uh, music too. Tangerine Dream stuff is pretty cool. I, I prefer the Jerry Goldsmith director's cut score, but I mm. do like that original score too, and that's not my problem with the movie. I just think they just they cut enough stuff out of the story that it's just too enigmatic, and I just think it just a little clarity yeah. really helps. Um, but uh, there's some really cool monsters in this. Goblins look really cool. I actually prefer the goblins in Legend to the orcs in the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, which, yeah, which also sure. look cool, but like I think the goblins here are just spindly and weird, and I love them. Uh, there's a really wonderful creature that's like this, like, uh, like aquatic uh, witch. Oh yeah, it's, living... it's, it's this like it's like a fishman guy. Yeah, but uh, well, it's, it's actually a woman named Meg Mucklebones, but she's played oh. by Robert Picardo, who was the hologram doctor yeah. in Star Trek Voyager. So, um, and many other things besides. He's had I, a very storied career. I know. I love Robert yeah. Ricardo to death, but that's probably what he's best known for now. I, I suppose so. Um, but uh, yeah, the centerpiece of the film isn't Tom Cruise's adventures. All that stuff is fun. The centerpiece of the film is Mia Sarah being seduced throughout the entire narrative by the sexiest Tim Curry ever. And I know that's saying something. I'm talking about Rocky Horror number two. Number one, darkness. <laughs> darkness. He is bright, like fire engine, shiny red. Mm. He is shredded. He is a muscly, wonderful creature. And he's nine feet tall on these gigantic goat legs. Yeah, like, it, like these like hooves that like have weight it, to them, and you can see a, him move. It's a costume so complicated, like Tim Curry couldn't walk around in it. It's yeah. not not a. It wasn't a costume meant to be walked yeah. around in. It just no. sort of. Put him in this thing and took photographs of him. Yeah, his face is sculpted yeah, it's, to look almost moon-like yeah, it's in its, really, really its protrusions. And, and, and Giant yeah, black horns. Gigantic black horns. I'm not oh even, my god, it's gorgeous. I wonder what they made those horns out of that, know, right? that Tim Curry didn't break his neck wearing those They things. were. They, I think yeah. they were detachable. I've seen like pictures yeah. of him... Like in makeup, like just at those, yeah, like those are like just horns. concave, and yeah. like I think they're just they they must have been hollow. They just must have been like yeah, plastic, yeah. whatever. But they look fucking good. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just a really great monster design. Uh, like I said, I don't care for legend. 
I think it has some good visuals and some good good atmosphere, but I think that's all Ridley Scott's really good at. I don't think he's a really great yeah, storyteller. But this is, but this is something that's designed to really enjoy yeah. that. Like it, the movie exists for that. This movie was actually uh, nominated for best makeup and it lost. To the fly. <laughs> oh well, you know what? I it's one of those I things where, like, yeah. you you show someone legend, and you're like, and you tell them that this lost the Academy Award for Best Makeup. I'm like, how? What, what, what horrible injustice has been incurred here? And then you tell them it's David Cronenberg's The Fly, and you're like, okay, I can see that. Yeah, uh, that's that's, <laughs> like, that's fair. That's one fair. of the other great makeup movies. <laughs> but man, Tim Curry, he's got this wonderfully deep, mm. sonorous voice. Well, they distort his voice. Though. Of course it's they do, but, Curry, but he's yeah. he's doing it as well. He's giving mm. a wonderful inflection, but they give him like this incredible bass to it. And, mm. God damn, he's hot. He's. I'm watching this as a kid, and I'm just like, everything about this is really interesting. <laughs> like he's. It's just. It's a very sensual mm. fantasy story, and I'm a. I'm a fan. I, yeah. I think it works. Um, I think there there are better fantasy stories, but obviously, but like, mm. I think in terms of like a beautifully realized uh, vision of fantasy and some really cool looking monsters, Legend rules. I like Legend yeah. a lot. Uh, I don't have any like. Fantasy monsters. Well, I have um, one on more, my I main think. list. I, I did. Uh, ha- I have a, a dragon on my runners up, but um, okay. I I do have a film about uh, like a society of monsters, fantasy creatures. Um, I and yes, I did do two Clive Barker movies on my list. Uh. Um, I wasn't sure which of the creatures from Nightbreed I wanted to include on this list because there are a lot of really good ones. Yeah, I'm so glad this is also on mine. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, Nightbreed is this, uh, it's uh, directed by Clive Barker. Yeah, uh, he was a good director, damn it. He only did the four movies. Um, he, did, he did Hellraiser, he did Nightbreed, he did Lord of Illusions. Lord of Illusions, and he, he did like um, he like some shorts before that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, only has, the three features. Only though. the three features. Um, yeah. Lord of Illusions is okay. The other two are masterpieces. Those I actually really cool like Lord of Illusions too, but um, yeah. it, it has its strength. It's a better idea than it is a movie, yeah. but anyway. Uh, but yeah, he directed this story based on his uh, his story, Cabal, uh, which is about an underground enclave of monsters. All different kinds of monsters. Yeah. Uh, they, they are not a common monster. They do not share a common origin. Just yeah. some people are born and they are monsters. And they yeah, live underneath a cemetery in this magical land that they call Midian. Yeah, and some of them are like porcupine people and yeah. some of them have weird, you know, monstrous faces mm. and some of them are, they are, are like this weird like sort of colony creature and some of them are like, they're all, this is glorious opportunity for their makeup and effects department to come up with all kinds of fabulous uh, creatures. Mm. And, and, but here's the thing, in the world in which we live, they are pariahs. You know, they would be tracked down and killed. Literal, literal monsters. Yeah, yeah, people see them as monsters. Some of them are indeed bad people and are monstrous. Some of them are not. But all of them have refuge in this place called Midian, which is underneath a cemetery in Canada, because of course it is. Um, and yeah, the plot is uh, uh, is it, um, Boone Craig Sheffer. Craig Sheffer. Craig Sheffer plays a guy named Boone who's been dreaming about Midian. Uh, and he's convinced he's a monster because. And this is a coincidence. This is like a different okay, movie. Kind of got like spliced in a little bit, but it's he, so cool. He has these visions of murdering people, and he tells us shrink all about how he thinks he might be murdering people, but he doesn't really know if he is. Yeah. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the shrink is the one who's been murdering people uh-huh. and has been feeding those ideas into Boone's head. So that he can eventually frame Boone for the murders yeah, and he can um, get off the hook. So The shrink is played by David Cronenberg. Who plays a serial <laughs> killer who, who is killing people because he considers like... 
What we, like what what he he's, he's like white trash or just filthy people that need to. But die. not just white trash. He considers like fat people. Like he's just like he's he's this weird. That, that's, that's an element of it. Yeah, yeah, he's got this weird idea of human physical purity, hmm. uh, and uh, so he's tracking down Boone because Boone is like this loose end in his you know master Serial scheme killing, or whatever. Yeah. But Boone, it turns out Boone is like shot by the police. And he comes back to life. Turns out he is a, a, a Midian monster. Yeah, because he was bitten by one. But anyway, but like he, he tried to find Midian because he was convinced he was a monster. And the monsters reject him because he's a nice guy. But in the process, one of them bites him. And that infection turns him into a monster who cannot die. And so now he is oh, part well, of the library. I, I think he already had monster in him. And that just sort of like un, unlocked it. Anyway, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, right, it's, it's, that, um, that's not the point. Which of the monsters do I like best? I like uh, Shunasasi, the Shunas- porcupine woman. She's fucking uh, cool. What a wonderful design. <laughs> She, she has she she doesn't play a big part in the story, mm-hmm. but uh, she she she's a porcupine woman. No, she's she's one of the most fascinating and like beautifully realized designs that they have. So she has a lot of screen time, even though the plot doesn't revolve around yeah, her, just because so she they, looks amazing. Yeah, they they film her a lot, and she, the the actress that plays her just sort of cavorts and is really yeah. threatening. And uh, she doesn't just have uh, porcupine quills; she's nude because she's got mm. all these quills. Yeah, uh, she can't put on a shirt. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and she also has this sort of like weird elongated nose. So she kind of has kind of like a monster face, but it's really kind of beautiful and elegant in yeah. this weird way. Um, it's a really awesome monster design in a really awesome monster movie. It's not about her, but I do like her. Okay, if I were to pick uh, my favorite yeah, uh, Nightbreed... Shunasasi is... Shunasasi is a great pick. If I were to pick uh, my favorite uh, Nightbreed monster, and that's a Mm. big ask, because this is... Nightbreed is one of my... I've actually been asked recently, we did a Schmodown exhibition match, and we were asked what our favorite horror movie is, and without even really thinking about it, I said Nightbreed. Hmm. Nightbreed is one of my favorite horror movies because it's kind of everything I want in a movie. <laughs> and this is actually, I can still consider to this day, Nightbreed is the best X-Men movie. I think it actually gets all of the themes out there, has all the great monsters, has a bunch of people who are like living in the shadows because they feel like they won't be accepted and they all have great monster powers and the real, the real evil is man and their intolerance and it's just so fucking good. Um, but uh, if I were to pick a favorite, it would be Peliquin, played by the great Oliver Parker. Uh, Peliquin is uh, this sort of pink guy He's got like tendrils off yeah, of his neck yeah. He's the one who bites Boone mm. He's got a wonderful deep voice And um, you can tell that he's Just barely okay With staying in the shadows And at the end of the movie When like an army of like Right wing white supremacists Come to destroy Midian mm-hmm. uh, Peliquin is the one who is just like Finally, I can cut loose. Start killing these people. And he, and he starts having he kind of, fun. He transforms a little bit. Yeah. Like he looks like a little, like his face looks sort of more like an ordinary human. But then, yeah, when he starts to like hulk out a little bit, he like his face grows and mutates just so, ever so slightly. Yeah. Uh, Oliver Parker, would, uh, by the way, uh, went on to become a very accomplished director. He did that very respectable 1995 version of Othello with Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, I, I like that version okay yeah. 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 He did uh, a couple of uh, Oscar Wilde movies An Ideal Husband and The Importance of Being Earnest Nice uh, Yeah he did uh, Johnny English Reborn <laughs> Did he really? Yeah right. it was a, Just an interesting, uh, just an interesting uh, film He also did uh, the, Oh a movie I didn't know about He did a movie in 2006 called Fade to Black Which stars Danny Houston as Orson Welles that's good casting. Okay. How did I not know this movie existed? 
<laughs> Here's the plot according to Wikipedia. In 1947 Hollywood, Orson Welles divorced Rita Hayworth. He travels to Rome for the lead role in Black Magic. Underrated film, by the way. An actor is murdered on set, and Welles finds himself allured by the deceased's beautiful stepdaughter, played by Paz Vega. Soon he becomes embroiled in dangerous political games as the run-up to post-war election surfaces. This co-stars Christopher Walken? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I need to track this uh, movie down. Know, I've never heard consumed, of this. You're never consumed, never caught up. Uh, I yeah. never heard. Holy shit! I'm totally finding this damn movie. That's incredible. Okay, well, I know what I'm doing this weekend. Um, anyway, but Nightbreed is fucking awesome, and Pelicans. Yeah, favorite. I love, I love Nightbreed. All right, uh, what's your what's your number five? I guess uh, let's, that was my number six uh, let's as well. See here, what do I want to say? Um, here's another uh, mutated person. Okay. Uh, former child star Ricky Coogan. Uh, was hired by the Everything Except Shoes Corporation to hawk a toxic fertilizer in the country of Santa Flan. When he was in Santa Flan, <laughs> he was kidnapped by Elijah C. Skuggs, played by Randy Quaid, a freak show tycoon and freelance bioengineer who's been using the fertilizer to mutate the people who stumble into his freak show emporium and mutates their bodies and puts them in the show. This is the plot of Alex Witter's Freaked, one of oh. the best movies ever made. Didn't he co-direct it? He co-directed it. Is that yeah, like, with a guy named Tom Stern. Just give credit where credit okay. is due. It's Tom, not just Tom, Alex Winter. Tom Stern and Alex Winter. Tom Stern, yeah. Alex Winter, and a third guy wrote it together. Yeah. Um, I forgot the name of the third guy. I apologize. It's fine. I, uh, it, it is I, a, a wild I, a wild, sick Looney Tune full of slime and pus, yeah. and I really adore it. And uh, Alex Winter plays the lead role. He plays the Ricky Coogan character. Yeah. And... The makeup, which was designed by Screaming Mad George, Yay. Uh, <laughs> is maybe some of the most elaborate that you'll ever see in a really stupid comedy film. Yeah, this is a very stupid. No, this is a very stupid comedy. By, this by, is like, by design. This it's is like, like a, this is like basketball level stupid, <laughs> but it is incredibly funny, and it's got a hell of a cast because there's an Alice Winter who's cool and Randy Quaid who was cool at the time. Uh, you've got uh, Keanu Reeves as a dog-faced boy. As, as Ortiz, the dog boy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Megan Ward is uh, is in it. She was also in like Joe's Apartment. She was in a lot of movies uh, yeah. around that time. Uh, but yeah, we also have as the bearded lady, Mr. T. Yep. Uh, Brooke Shields is in it. Morgan Fairchild has a cameo. Uh, oh gosh, who else is in it? Um, who is the head of the Everything But Shoes company? Oh, it was it? William Sadler. William Sadler, yeah. great actor. Um, it's a really, really wonderfully weird movie. It's full of elaborate gags. Mm. There's this one gag where they're all trying to escape, and they're trying to escape dressed as milkmen. And, <laughs> and Ricky Coogan is like, "We can't. Th- th- well, don't he, you don't you think this is a little suspicious he, he, that there are well, like a dozen milkmen?" What happens is uh, th- there's like there's 13 uh, prisoners at Elijah She Scuggs Freak Show Emporium. Yeah, and. Uh, he tricks a milkman into like sort of sneaking into the outhouse where he lives, which is bigger on the inside. Yeah. And, uh, and he steals the milkman outfit and starts to sneak off. He still has, he's still half mutated. Yeah. And like, it's really gigantic yeah. mutation. Like it doesn't hide well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't describe the makeup, but yeah, on, on, on the, uh, it was like two face. If like two face was also like, mm-hmm. like gigantic on one side. Yeah. On, on, like, on his, on his left side, it just has this gigantic green, Pustule ridden monster face. Yeah. And there's like surrows on it. It's, it's, it's kind of like, and it even like goes up on his teeth. So he's yeah. actually constantly drooling throughout the movie. That's a real drool. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, he sneaks out in, in the Milkman outfit, and he turns around, and it turns out everybody else is also dressed as Milkman, just by coincidence. Yeah. and he's just like, <laughs> guys, don't you think that 13 Milkmen on the same route is a little suspicious? Yeah. And that's when the dog face boy says, no, 12 on the same route is perfectly reasonable. 13 is suspicious. You have to get out of here. <laughs> the, the, the line is, uh, 12 Milkmen is theoretically possible. 13 is silly. <laughs> And, they're, and they all start fighting each other, and then you cut to Randy Quaid, who's looking at all of his freaks, yeah. and I use that term because that's what the movie is, it's, it's, yeah. he, he's looking at all of them in Milkman costumes fighting each other, and, and he's just looking at the window and it's like, that's a lot of Milkman on the same route. No wonder they fight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Dude, yeah, it, it, it's, it's this really broad, wild, noisy... Um, yeah. Uh, really grating <laughs> slapstick comedy film that just has some of the best makeup effects you'll see in a movie. I couldn't uh, quite bring myself to, to include this movie just because a part of me, because it's a silly comedy, uh-huh. um, it doesn't really feel like it's a monster movie anymore. Oh, it's kind of mm. like it's kind of like Monsters Incorporated, where by, like by that's one. I love that the movie. end, and there's like nine foot tall monsters I, fighting I each other. It's I, like this, this is a monster. I'm movie. not saying there isn't an argument. I was explaining yeah. why I didn't make my list because you know me. I also love this movie. Yeah, it's 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 noisy. It's silly, and it's got monsters yeah. in it. It's gonna be my bag. It's, I totally get it, and I'm not gonna fight you on it at all. I'm glad you have an opportunity to recommend mm. it. It's weird. Some of it hasn't aged well, but mostly it's really great. Mm. Um. Yeah, for me, it's just, it's so, like, they're so endearing and lovable for the most part that they kind of lose that element of monstrousness where, like, to the audience, they're monsters. And that's why, like, Mike Wazowski is one of my favorite characters of the 21st century. I just... <laughs> for Monsters, I, Inc. I love Monsters, Inc. very, very mm-hmm. much. Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University are two of my favorite, like, movies of their ilk. I think I like Monsters U better, actually. Which I know I'm not going to fight that. I'm not going to fight that. I think they're both just absolutely charming and... Uh, but the thing is, the whole point is they're not really monsters in that universe, are they? I mean, they're monsters to, like, little kids, but that's, like, a day job. It doesn't really feel right. Mm. So I left them out for that only that reason. And Freaks kind of fell under that banner for me, so I just didn't think to include it. But I get it. Mm. I totally get it. Um, well, that's Thanks for letting me recommend it. No, I'm yeah. glad you did. Um, let's see what we got here. I, I thought you were going to... Um, Going back a bit, actually, because uh, when you were starting to talk about Nightbreed, uh-huh. uh, you talked about in your in your preface, you were talking about this like sort of secret society of monsters, and I thought what you were building to was Brian Yuzna's society. Because that's I, on my list. Uh, I, I actually, of course, I took a good long hard at Brian Yuzna's society because it's goopy and sick, but I'm not sure if I would consider that. A monster rather than um, a really bizarre superpower that, uh, that kind of mutates bodies and then mutates them back. No, so, for me, yeah. for me, I think it works. I think yeah, they, um, uh, if, if anything, they're more like vampires. So it didn't quite fit my they're criteria. Like, they're, they're like vampires, but they're not. Okay, so here's here's the deal. Brian Yesna's Society is a movie that's very difficult to recommend. It's a bit like that Keshi Miike's audition. Yeah, in that the movie is a lot more effective if you know nothing about it going in. Yeah, yeah. but. It's also impossible to recommend and uh, talk just, about on a podcast. It a little bit. So yeah. uh, we've already given you a little peek behind the curtain, but uh, I will say this: uh, fast forward a little bit if you just want to go see Society. I highly recommend it. It's gross. It's very R-rated. It's gross, <laughs> but it's a hell of a film, and it's getting finally like over the last few years has been getting the cult appreciation I think it deserves. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you may have heard of it. Check it out. It's not hard to find. Um, 
Also and Screaming Mad George. Also Screaming Mad yeah. George. Also bring that up. Another Screaming Mad George film that almost made my list, The Giver. <laughs> it's not a good movie, but the monsters are great. Mm. Just throw that out there. I feel the same way about uh, Faust, Love of the Damned. which Which, which, which I, I think I liked better than you, but... Uh, yeah. It, it, again, it's not a great film, but though. The but the awesome. monster shit yeah, is awesome. Yeah, Screaming Mad George is a genius. <laughs> anyway, I digress. I, I wish he had made more movies. I know. Anyway, I digress. Uh, what was it? Society. So Society, again, we're going to tell you a bit about Society. I'm going to try to be a little vague, but I'm, I'm going to have to talk about it. You know, we live in a society. We do. Society uh, stars uh, is it Billy Warlock. I think so, yeah. Billy Warlock from uh, Baywatch fame. He was on the first few seasons of Baywatch. Um he plays a young man who uh, is like a teen, and he's the adopted son of a very wealthy family in a very wealthy... I don't remember if it's actually Beverly Hills, but it's like Beverly Hills. Yeah. Um, and he's getting older, and he's starting to question his parents more, and he starts realizing that his parents are really suspicious. And he starts to They're wonder... favoring his sister a lot. Yeah, his sister's... His, sister, his slightly younger sister is like you know, about to have her... like. Debutante ball and shit And things are just getting really weird and creepy And everyone starts talking about his sister really really weird And he starts to wonder And get paranoid About maybe his parents Are involved in some kind of weird like creepy the, cult, yeah, like some kind of weird sex cult or yeah, something, yeah, some human sacrifice cult, something. And the, and there's some implication that there might even be some some incest going on. Yeah, like the, it's really really perverse yeah. and weird. And for a while, that just carries the movie. There's some weird conspiracy here. Is this like the Stepford Wives and something's actually going on, or is it all in his head? And uh, what I will say is this: by the end of the movie, you're gonna see some shit. Yeah, they, they do reveal what's actually going on. And um, what is going on, is, I would argue... It's not something you'll be able to predict. <laughs> no, even even when I tell you some shit's going on, mm. I, if you don't know what I'm talking about, even if you think you know what's going to happen, you're not going to imagine what you're going to see. It gets really fucking freaky. It gets really disgusting. We start using makeup in ways I didn't really think you could use makeup, nor do I think you should. Yeah. Uh, and you, uh, you know, there's going to be some weird makeup because it's in the opening credits. It's yeah. uh, you know, welcome to society, and it's all this big mystery. But then it says like makeup effects by Screaming Mad yeah, George, yeah, like yeah. creature and makeup effects by Screaming Mad George. So you know you're going to get yeah, something. like imagine watching a movie and it's like a perfectly normal rom com or something, but in the credits you saw there was stop motion effects by like mm. I don't know Ray Harryhausen, and you'd be like, well, they're going to show up eventually. What the hell is going to happen? <laughs> So you know when, makeup when effects are going to be... become a skeleton and walk around? Yeah. And the, what they use the makeup effects for is mm. so gloopy and strange and perverted. And ultimately what it argues as a film is that the rich, the truly wealthy, are so divorced from the rest of humanity in their experience that they're a functionally a different species. Yep. And that's a really bold, like take actually i think nowadays it seems a little less weird but like you watch it now and it's just like this movie's just fucking going for it this movie is just absolutely <laughs> aerosmith eat the rich mm. absolutely just in, going just fucking thigh high <laughs> into the muck that is society uh and boy is the ending fucked like it's so fucking cool mm. If you needed me to explain shit in order to get you there, I'm going to leave it there. Hopefully, I haven't ruined the whole thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, some of you just decided to just go off and see it and fast forward a little bit. So, uh, spoilers over. See society. It's not a like it's not like 
gloriously well written. It's a little clunky, especially in the middle, but it builds to something great. It 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 is a wonderful film. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's your what's your number four? Um, let's see. Um... This is uh, this is one that's may- maybe a little bit on the line, so you can tell me whether or not this counts. Okay. Uh, but this is another recommendation I'm going to make for Jacob's Ladder, uh, which is uh, a-, a film I mentioned kind of recently. And in that one, it's about a guy named Jacob, and he starts to have starts having these weird hallucinations throughout the course of the movie, where he's where he sees demons essentially. Yeah. They're described as demons, but they don't look like darkness from legend. They don't. They don't look like you know devils with pitchforks. No. They look like well. Nothing I've seen in movies before. They look like these weird, convulsing, uh, horned, slightly mutated versions of humans. There's yeah. a, a shot of a demon which is used uh, with where they speed up the camera. Uh, so to, his to, face is like constantly moving and yeah, jutting like, around. Like it's, and like it's staying still, but speeds. yeah, yeah. Th- these weird sort of inhuman jittering uh, kind of. Creatures that are just sort of cavorting yeah. in the consciousness, and they feel like nightmares. Mm-hmm. They, they feel like they can't exist in real space. They're not like a monster that can attack you. They're a monster that lives in your mind, and yeah. uh, that's which is kind of the implication of the movie. And uh, they're really scary. They are really scary. They yeah. re- to this day they really scare me. Jacob's <laughs> I think, is yeah. one of the scariest movies ever made. Yeah, I definitely yeah. think it's and, a and genuinely the, terrifying motion picture. And it's because he's sort of out in the original. A, the remake's not good. Just yeah, to be clear. Uh, um, yeah. This is from 1991, I think the original think, came yeah. out. Uh, yeah, it stars Tim Robbins. It was directed by Adrian Lynn. Yeah, the great and, Elizabeth uh, Pena, who sat later along yeah, with the, us. The yeah. late Elizabeth Pena is in it as well. Uh, it was an early role for Macaulay Culkin, in fact. Yeah. He played the, the boy in that one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's Jacob is sort of going around his sort of mundane life, and things are really kind of dour and gloomy already. Yeah, he's a Vietnam uh, vet, and he's yeah. dealing with some shit, and he's estranged from his wife and son, mm-hmm. and... The whole oh, just, world just, just seems... His, just from his wife. Just from his wife, sorry. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm remembering wrong. But anyway, well, he's... He, 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 and he's also getting over the death of his wife and son. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm remembering yeah, he, a little he, hazy. He had, yeah. Yeah, he had a wife and son, and they both died, and now yeah. he's married to Elizabeth Pena, who he's also estranged from. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he's just su- suffering through a lot of this trauma from war and from all of this pain in his past. And lurking in the edges of his world are these demons. Yeah. These like creatures are just sort of living in the world with him. Yeah. And they're constantly threatening to sort of appear and take him away. There's a really terrifying dance floor sequence where Elizabeth oh, Pena yeah. appears to be one of these creatures. And she's dancing with one of these creatures. Yeah. And it's like, it turns, this is Adrian line directed this and Adrian line directed stuff like flash dance. And uh, was it nine and a half weeks? Was uh, that him? Uh, Fatal attraction. Fatal attraction. Um, in any case, um, he, he does a lot of erotic films and uh, sometimes erotic thrillers that are about our anxieties around sexuality. Unfaithful, my personal favorite. I think that movie's great. But um, yeah. I think his best work is da- Jacob's Ladder, but Unfaithful is really good too. Um, that dance sequence is like, you can just see like, oh, my my attractive young, I think they're actually just his girlfriend. Oh, oh, he, but like, he also did Nine and a Half Weeks. Okay, not young. crazy. So... Uh, but he's watching Elizabeth Pena, who is just young and beautiful and full of life, and she wants to dance, and he's just a stick in the mud. He doesn't want to party, and so she's dancing with this guy, and he's like imagining them uh, being, you know, sexual together, and it's making him feel weird. And then all of a sudden, they're monsters, and like he's actually like got weird horns that are like penetrating her flesh, mm-hmm. and it's like really fucking it's twisted it's and weird. weird. Yeah, it's weird tentacle appears, and like yeah, yeah she starts to turn into a monster. It's it's all really terrifying. It's scary, and, it's scary and, as fuck, yeah. And then uh, later, there's a sequence in the movie where the monsters do come for him. Yeah. And there's this extended sequence in this sort of, like, hellish asylum. Yeah. Uh, where the monsters are all 
just on full display, and yeah, they're really terrifying. So yeah. I'm not sure if you'll let me have it because it is this sort of abstract miasma of that's, monsters. That's where it comes down for me. And listen, yeah. I'm going to let you have it because I, I don't feel like it's so far afield of what we're talking about that it's like off topic. Mm. So I'm, I'm going to, and again, I, we give each other all the leeway in the world. We can come up with our own criteria here. But for me, the reason why Jacob Slider wouldn't occur to me to be on my list, not because it's not a brilliant movie. I think mm. it's scary as fuck. Um, it's because the world of Jacob's Ladder, and I don't want to go into great detail here, a lot of it is about questioning reality. Mm. And for me... Yeah, well, from monsters my, may be hallucinations. And for me, if the, if the idea is, at least theoretically, that they're all in your head, unless we like confirm clearly, like in Nightbreed, that the Nightbreed are real, that kind of thing, Jacob's Ladder is a bit more uh, poetic than that, I think. Um then they become more like hallucinations, and I'm not sure that feels like a monster to me. I feel like a monster is a very tangible thing. Um, it, uh, uh, Freddy Krueger rides the line of that for me, mm. where like he's really a dream creature. He's not really like a physical monster. Yeah, um, that's probably splitting hairs. But in was, any case, but say, in any case, still a cool. Whether or not he's in the real world or in a dream, still a, a monster. He's fucking amazing, mm. and, and the only reason he's not on my list is because you know who he is. Mm. Like, there's no. I don't need to boost the signal on this. Hell, I didn't need to boost the signal on the fly either. I just think that one's so superlatively great I had to. I also want to give credit to the original as well, which I don't think gets a lot of that cred. Um, But uh, fair enough. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to... What do we got here? I got a couple more aliens. All right. So I'm going to go with uh, some of my alien friends. And I'm going to go with... I think this is arguably one of like... I love this movie. And I love the remake as well. And I think they're both... There's another one where I think the remake mm. is another one where we finally have the technology to make this look as cool as it possibly could. And it looked cool before. Mm. The Blob. <laughs> yeah, you know what? The original The Blob, yeah. which is... I, I think that's also 58. Wasn't it the same year as The Fly? I was around there. It was yeah, one of Steve, Steve McQueen's yeah, first movie. Um, I remember that much. But, uh, yeah, and then there was uh, a remake done by, I think it was Chuck Russell in, Chuck Russell. in the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, and Which is a real hoot. And nobody 80, talks, 88, that one came Nobody out. talks about the remake of The Blob as often as they should. But whenever they do, and, like, someone who, like, is, like, a horror aficionado talks about it, they speak about it in hushed tones, like, that movie fucking kills. That movie is mm-hmm. awesome. So The Blob. Yeah, the, the, uh, the Fly and The Blob came out the same year. Awesome. So The Blob. Uh, the Blob is a story about uh, a meteorite that crash lands on Earth, and inside the meteorite is goop. A little blobby piece of goop. And, uh, like, an old prospector-type guy, like, pokes it with a stick, and then the, the turns out the goop is basically like an amoeba. It's like a big space amoeba, and all it does is eat. It eats living things, people, animals, and get and it bigger. Grows, yeah. That's it. And it's just slime. It's organic. It's not like a plant, but it's like a big ball of slime that is full of like digestive acid. So once you're like encased in the slime, it starts dissolving you, mm. which we don't really see in the 1958 one, but in the 1980s one, fuck yeah, we see that shit and it's <laughs> gross. It's really yeah. gross. There, there's a, a 
it's like acid. It, yeah. it like digests people like by engulfing them. Yeah, it's basically a some... stomach that's like yeah. with like a membrane you can like walk through with like some pressure. It's yeah, so it, fucking grotesque. A lot of really awesome slime effects yeah. in that movie, and some great gore effects because we get to kind of see through the translucent blob, yeah. people being digested. And it's so like, it and like, it's like skin it's pink. It looks like Pepto Bismol, yeah. but like it's something about mm. that where it almost looks benign until you realize just how like kind of Lovecraftian and, like, all gigantic and un- unimaginable it is. Especially yeah. as it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger and, and cover an entire town. And, and I'll say this. The original 1958 The Blob mm-hmm. is presented largely as a comedy. Uh, yeah. Steve McQueen and, and the other leads uh, are are really kind of laid back. Yeah. They're, they're a little bit nonplussed by the appearance of a monster. It's like, oh, but, but we got to save our dog, man. Like, he it's, is... not, it's not like they're laid back. It's just, it's like, it's kind of like a teen movie more than anything else. Mm. And so the plot of the original Blob is about a bunch of teenagers who, they're the only ones who've seen this Blob attack people. And the problem is adults assume every kid is a juvenile delinquent when they're actually pretty good kids. And so they're trying to save the town while all the adults are doing nothing. Uh-huh. And so it's ultimately this like you know generation gap kind of movie, and it works. It works on that mm-hmm. level. It's a fun little flick. It's but got it, a great song by Burt Bacharach. Uh, Beware of the blob, it creeps. It's by it's by the Five Blobs. Is the credited uh, credited band. <laughs> uh, but the 1988 version by Chuck Russell uh, is a little bit more straightforward, like a science fiction horror movie. It's a little cheeky, yeah. but it, I think, it's, sense humor, I think yeah. it, it has like a less uh, laid back comedic sensibility. It's yeah. a little bit more of a, a creature feature. Yeah. It's more about us versus them, like the military will the military use it, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And, um, but um, it's really fucking cool. Um, and I've actually never seen the sequel to the blob. It was like, there was one called, called beware of the blob, right? I think it was called danger. The blob. <laughs> No. I think so. Is it called Danger the Blob? That's a terrible yeah. name. Hold on, I'm going to look this up. That's, that's Dang. hilarious. The Blob. Maybe it Good wasn't old Blobs. Blob. Sequel. Beware! Blob. Exclamation point. The Blob. Was beware the Blob. Okay. Yeah. I, I knew there was an exclamation point in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Beware the Blob. And from, it was uh, directed by Larry later. Hagman, mm. uh, who played J.R., on Dallas, and yeah. when it was on home video, it was credited as the movie that Jr. shot. Isn't that cute? Yeah, oh, that's, that's pretty good. so cute. All right, that's pretty good. I've never seen Beware the Blob. I don't know if it's any good, but um, one I, of these is a good. I know there's it. a scene in Beware the Blob uh, in a, a bowling alley where it like sort of bleeds mm. out, bleeds through a big old bowling alley. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, and the original is on the Criterion Collection. Like, yeah, it's kind of an important movie. It actually is in terms of. Uh, uh, special effects, uh, but also just in terms of movie monsters. It's actually just of that era of uh, giant monster movies of the 50s. You get films like Them, mm. uh, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. All those are cool. There's some cool monsters in that era, by the way. Ray Harryhausen did a lot of those. Um, what's the one? Um, what's the one? There's a monster called Emer. It's this like Venusian oh, um, creature. Uh, Is that tw- like 20 million, 20 million miles to Earth? Yeah, that's a cool monster as well. Like, like there's a there's a honorable mention to like every Ray Harryhausen movie ever in here. No. Uh, but uh, for me, the Blob is the American giant monster movie from the fifties that holds up the best. Oh, okay. it's just it's just better written. It's mm. very well crafted. The cast is really really good. It's actually about something like that isn't mm. just ah, nuclear bad. Like no, it's actually like it, that movie holds up really good. It's a very very fun watch to this day. I think. Mm. All right, what's your next pick? 
Uh, my next pick is, let's see, we're getting on to some pretty good ones here. Yeah, I'm down to my final three, yeah. yeah um, so I'm going to go with uh, the, one of the Gremlins, specifically the Spider Gremlin from Gremlins 2, because <laughs> that is a freaking awesome monster. <laughs> I'll let you have all the Gremlins. I think they're Okay, awesome. yeah. I think, the, it, I think it, it, it's all... The uh, yeah. the idea of the gremlin, uh, the term gremlin comes from, uh, I think it was popularized in World War II as yeah. a technical problem. Yeah. If you're playing, if, if you're a mechanic on a plane and you can't like identify what a technical problem is on a plane. Gremlins. Th- yeah. The, the slang was, uh, there must be a gremlin in there. The, a little yeah. creature is like sneaking in and, and breaking your plane. Yeah. Uh, that was the premise of uh, Terror at 20,000 Feet. The thing on the wing of the plane was supposed to be a gremlin. Uh, yeah. The writer of that episode, Richard Matheson, hated that it looks like a, a big panda bear. The uh, the <laughs> the Twilight Zone, the movie, almost made my list specifically for updating that monster. Yeah, because their version of Terra Twenty Thousand Feet, a I think it's better than the show. The show is good too, mm. but the monster in Terra Twenty Thousand Feet in the Twilight Zone movie is scary as fuck. It's, it's a lot scarier than so the, creepy. That, that big furry with the thing. thing it does with its finger when it like <laughs> oh, Not, kills naughty me. naughty yeah. kills me every time I fucking love that um, but yeah Joe Dante made a film yeah. called Gremlins uh, also, also Gre- The Gremlins was the first book ever written by Roald Dahl that's right. 1943, was. he wrote like a like a illustrated. He, he, he fought in the war, and it was um, written for Walt Disney, and they were going to make like a feature film about gremlins in World War II, and it's never materialized. Yeah. There's like a whole, I think there's a book or something about like the almost making of that movie. If they ever make another Gremlins film, they should set it in World War II. That'd um, be a cool. One. I like that. I pay to see that. Or or. Uh, Daniel Clamp is now President Clamp. Uh, that, that's not not that's not, <laughs> oh, not that's God, not my no. idea. That's not my idea. Oh, that's, that was something I heard from Red Letter oh, Media. But damn yeah, it. they pitched this idea that Clamp, idea, had, Clamp had been elected president, and now it's Gremlins in the White House. That's which a, is actually a really brilliant. That's idea. a that's a really good pitch. Again, I, I can't say that's, it's not my not my idea that's at rock all. Solid. But um, anyway. But yeah, in uh, Gremlins, uh, they try to imagine them as the, just these sort of mischief-making monsters, and they have this sort of fairy tale rules where mm-hmm. you splash water on them, and they get, and then they multiply. Yeah. That's the way they multiply is you get water yeah. on them. But it's basically uh, the original is sunlight, all of- sunlight kills them, and if yeah. you feed them after midnight, they turn from little benign gremlin monsters called mogwais into slimy, malevolent creatures. And the slimy, malevolent creatures are just these like shitty hateful violent beasts <laughs> but what's interesting is but, that they, but they have, love the chaos they create they love the chaos they, they create laughing. and they, they kind of represent like the original movie takes place in um, it's not it's not bedford falls it's like this fake version of bedford Falls. it's it's it's, it's a wonderful life it's, it's the town from it's yeah. a wonderful life it's this kind of idyllic community mm-hmm. full Called grover grover no, not grover's corners. Not grover's corners that's our town no uh, uh <laughs> it's not hill valley god all those fucking stupid grover's mill like something along those I'm, lines, I'm not i'm not looking yeah. it up um but uh in any case it's this idyllic community but of course, idyllic means it's really white and safe. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, these gremlins come in and wreck this like thin veneer of like wholesomeness that's been layered on top of everything. Yeah. And you just see like everything just go to shit. And it's yeah. really, really great. It, it's a it's Kingston a, Falls. Kingston Falls. That's where right. Gremlins takes place. Uh, Kingston Falls is. The, the first movie is not one I'm like terribly familiar with. Really? I'm, I'm not sure if I've even seen it all the way through. What? Uh, How? But I saw Gremlins 2 a heck of a lot. Yeah. The first one's great. I love the first one. The second one. The second. Gremlins 2 is to Gremlins what Bride of Frankenstein is to Frankenstein, which is they're both brilliant, but the second one goes just, nuts. It just ratchets it up. Uh, it, in, in Gremlins 2, it's now set in the big city. Uh, the, the central mogwai uh, named Gizmo is now finding himself in essentially Trump Tower. 
It's called yeah. Clamp Tower. Yeah, and and the, the it's, it's half Trump, half Ted Turner. It's yeah, this yeah. this, this am- amalgam of Trump and Ted Turner, and um, and the the characters are back. They're now working in this big building, and of course, uh, gremlins are let loose inside this building, and. Yeah. This is just a, a living Looney Tune. All of these yeah. weird cartoonish things. Anything that you can think of is in this movie there's, in terms there, of, of what you can do with a gremlin. There's there's a part... They go into this lab mm. in Clamp Tower where they're doing genetic testing R- run, run by, by Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. And do you remember his character's name? No. It was Dr. Catheter. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. no, Dr. Catheter, you're, you, you got a package. Oh, this must be my malaria. <laughs> He's really having too much yeah. fun. But the idea is that they have all of these like genetic like potions or whatever that it's, are supposed they're just, to like they're just magical skills. They're gene splicing yeah. potions where if you drink this thing, your genes will be spliced with whatever picture is on the label. Yeah. So gremlins start like chugging them down one, like they're brewskis. Vegetables yeah. like, like one, turns into a bat. There's a vegetable gremlin, and you know what we never see? Someone pick the vegetable and eat it. I wonder how it tastes. No, we do. Someone does that? Yeah, one of the gremlins picks a radish off of it and puts it in a cocktail. Oh, I forgot about that. But we never see him eat it, though. I want to see the I, bite. Is it like, is there not. blood in there? Like, what is that? Is that like an actual vegetable or is it part gremlin? Yeah, uh, and that's a weird thing for me to think about. And like the, one of the, the and like the one se- of them, the central evil gremlin is is this really wicked looking thing with like a spiky mohawk, and yeah. uh, and it ends up drinking the spider potion. Yeah, it becomes this really large mm. spider gremlin, like the back of a spider, but the head is the front of a it's, gremlin. It's like it's like, like a gremlin spider centaur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and it, yeah, it's, like, it's just big and scary and slimy, and spins a giant web yeah, and ca- in a, catches in an human office. beings. Oh, it's so great. Um, I'm, I'm a slightly bigger fan I love the spider gremlin Don't get me uh, wrong And they actually had like They were selling This like almost Scale spider gremlin Thing ooh. From like I don't know One of those like Fancy yeah. Whatever if, if, I wanted it so bad If I were wealthy And I had the space I, In my apartment For I something like that I would have made the space I seriously I was I shouldn't I would have need I'm, to buy a house I would have needed in, to yeah. borrow money To make rent man But I would have <laughs> I came this close To buying that thing And for, yeah. fortunately for me It was sold out uh-huh. But man did I want that thing so bad um, But for me My favorite one was actually The gargoyle gremlin there's, the bat, one, there's, the bat gremlin. there's a gremlin that uh, drinks a bat potion, mm-hmm. and uh, fortunately, one of the gremlins actually picks up a brain potion that makes its brain mm-hmm. better, and it learns and English immediately, English. <laughs> and it starts talking, and mm-hmm. boy, is that gremlin great. And it, <laughs> that on, gre- on the phone with stockbrokers. We're, yes, we're the gremlins. We're, investing, we're uh, advising all of our investors to invest in canned food and shotguns. <laughs> oh, God, such a damn funny movie. But uh, the, the brain gremlin looks at the yeah. back gremlin and it was like, you know, here's your problem is that you're you're made for outdoors and you can't go outdoors in the sunlight. So here, here's the suntan lotion solution. Yeah, yeah and I'm like genetic sunblock. And I'm like, and so it starts flying around and actually like, like it's outside. Yeah, so great. But I'm like, if you're really that smart, you would have used that on yourself. Well, yeah, I know. Like, my point is, like, I would have been like, "Can we make some more of that?" Like, it, it, it flies out and it uh, yeah. attacks Dick Miller in the street. It's fun, but I'm going to say this: the part of the movie that like breaks it is the Electro Gremlin. <laughs> the Electro Gremlin's fun, but what it is is it turns a gremlin into living lightning, like mm. that Marvel character, Living Lightning. Mm. Yeah, um, it, it, it's it, really it, stupid. It drinks a vial of something and turns into an animated lightning thing, which they. <laughs> Somehow trap inside a telephone. Like it makes that part makes less you know, sense than anything else in this movie where nothing makes sense. There's also a scene in the movie where the film breaks. 
Yeah. Like, clearly reality has no meaning in this, yeah. in the universe of Gremlins 2. No, I love Gremlins 2 with all my heart. I I, I, I interviewed Joe, we've interviewed Joe Dante a couple yeah. of times, and one time I was like, hey, did you ever notice, Joe Dante, you ever notice that Jurassic World is basically Gremlins 2? Mm. And Joe Dante was like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and we also asked you, know, okay, they, they made Piranha 3D, they're, they're ripping yeah. off your movie Piranha that you made with Corman. Yeah, he was so excited and, about and, it. And, 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 he's, and he's like, well, yeah, but we were intentionally ripping off Jaws. Yeah, <laughs> we I, we, we don't can't care. Don't was like, I can't be mad about that. <laughs> well, how can I be mad? Oh, oh no, the, the integrity of Piranha, the Jaws knockoff. He's a delightful interview. Yeah, uh, yeah. What, a, what a nice man. But um, in any case, uh, yeah, Gremlins 2 rules. I love mm-hmm. Gremlins 2. And I came very, very close to putting Gremlins on my list. I, was like, I, I can't think of a good reason why I didn't. Okay. Uh, I, it didn't even occur to me that you would put it on yours, like yeah, with Audrey yeah. 2. I just should have put it on there. Uh, but anyway, um, I mentioned a few uh, minutes ago that every Ray Harryhausen movie mm. uh, was basically a, a runner-up, uh, except for one, which made my list. And okay. specifically, it's Jason and the Argonauts, and specifically, it's the skeletons. Yeah, those skeletons are, are pretty great. Uh, Ray Harryhausen, if you're unfamiliar with the name, Ray Harryhausen oh. was a visual effects genius uh, who was very, very much inspired by, I think he worked with Gordon Willis, who was uh, the... Gordon worked in, on King Kong. Yeah, he was one of... He didn't invent stop motion, but he became the person who made stop motion... Uh, kind of what it is a, a today. Feasible practice in cinema. Yeah, yeah. feasible practice in cinema. Uh, something that people actually use in visual effects. And yeah, he created the stop motion effects in King Kong. And he had to do it pretty much all himself because it was so painstakingly detailed that trying to explain what he was doing to everyone else was just ineffective. Mm-hmm. So King Kong was pretty much all stop motion animated by like one guy. Um, and uh, yeah, Gordon Willis was a legend. But in any case, uh, like the successor to Gordon Willis was uh, Ray Harryhausen. And Ray Harryhausen did basically most of the great stop-motion effects work from, like, the... F- I think he started in the 40s, but at least the 50s through the early 80s. Hmm. Um, and he, he worked on shit like uh, Clash of the Titans. Uh, and I think, argu- arguably... I haven't seen every single thing he's ever done, but I would say that, arguably, uh, his greatest work... Uh, was the skeletons. Was the skeletons. Yeah. Well, I think everything actually in mm. Jason and the Argonauts. Jason and the Argonauts is a story out of classic Greek myth about uh, a man who's um, he's he's the rightful heir to a throne. The person who killed his parents is now on top of the throne, and that person sees that Jason has returned, and he sends Jason on this basically wild goose chase to get this uh, mythical. Uh, golden fleece to prove that his his worthiness uh, and along the way they fight a ton of really cool monsters there's a giant statue that's like a hundred feet tall that like attacks them and that bit's really really cool uh, there's a uh, there's a hydra which is fucking awesome uh, but the the piece de resistance and not just because um not just because it's it's looks cool but because it's actually spectacularly complicated mm. is this small army of warrior skeletons that pops up at the end of the movie and we're talking you know there's skeletons and they have swords and shields and there is an almost unprecedented at the time amount of interaction between the skeletons and the live action human characters yeah, yeah. and so the level of complexity and detail that went into creating this sequence is just mind blowing mm-hmm. but what it all boils down to is it looks amazing. <laughs> they look great and they have personality and they're gags. Like it's just such a glorious it's like it's for me, 
there's this meme going around that's like Bong Jung Ho in like an interview, and mm. it's just him saying, "To me, that is cinema." <laughs> and people are like putting like funny, yeah. funny screen grabs next to it, like something from like Care Bears the movie. To me, that is cinema. Yeah, but and unironically, I, I, I did that with the film Cop Dog. There you go. But yeah. for me, unironically, the skeletons of Jason and the Argonauts—that's cinema. That is that's yeah, something. So that's a movie thing. M- movies are are. Our, a visual medium yeah. and uh yeah such this, a distinct this, uh, treat this idea that you can like make these things live and look like they are alive and fighting yeah. somebody and I, i've always loved the way stop motion looks yeah. like it's it's not natural it's a little jerky but that makes it a little bit more vivid to me it, it makes it kind of hyper real in this really interesting way well especially considering a lot of the time stop motion is used to create creatures that do not exist in the real world yeah and as a result that sort of otherworldliness adds to that where we can tell that these are physical things these are not created computers are getting better at it but there was a long time when computer animated creatures they just look a little too shiny they didn't look like they really existed in the space they might look cool and sometimes people made them work better than others it's not that they weren't realistic it's that they weren't interacting with the the environment they were in they just and there's these little things where you're not even always hyper aware of it you just to tell like the shadow is off or when they're like standing on something there's no give in the carpet that kind of thing like it's just all these little things that add up and just make them feel like they're not really there and you can really get that in stop motion because it's a physical thing yeah. that is being manipulated it, it was being if there was like an actor in the shot it was clearly being composited in with like yeah. as with the skeletons or but or occasionally with, there'd be like a briefly it would be like a stop motion version of the character yeah or, or, or they would get like a, a, a human-sized skeleton and mix it in with the shot with an actual actor they would that use all of this clever editing and all these tools in the toolbox to make those things look like they were really yeah. there next to the actors i think uh, i can I, yeah like sorry. Uh, in the early uh, Harry Potter movies some of the CGI this is 2001 those movies started and uh, a lot of the CGI is a little dodgy but I don't mind if it's like a centaur or a magical creature if it looks a little otherworldly because it's a creature yeah when they were trying to make it like interact in like a real world sense then uh, it, it was I, a little little less convincing I have to stop myself and correct myself because I made a major blunder hmm. I, cr- I credited Gordon Willis who is of course a hmm. famous cinematographer for the visual effects in King Kong it's Willis O'Brien Willis O'Brien of course Sorry, Willis I, I O'Brien I'm, I, I apologize for I letting it go on with too. this yeah. long with I, something about it like I, that can't be right, right. Willis O'Brien and, and, and while right, you were talking right. I was like I should check this it's Willis O'Brien Willis oh, O'Brien oh, was the original was the original it. stop motion effects guru. What a major blunder! I am so glad I caught myself. Everyone, you can stop tweeting me right now. You can stop tweeting me right now. We caught it in time. Willis O'Brien is one of the legends of stop motion animation. Indeed, one of the legends of film visual effects. They deserve all the credit in the world for their achievements. Uh, Willis O'Brien. Hmm. There we go. Apologies. I really, I really, I really, really screwed up that time. So I'm glad I caught it. Um, anyway, but Jason the Argonauts is again. You, you could any Ray Harryhausen movie has wonderful creatures in it, but to me, Jason yeah. the Argonauts, and it's also I would argue uh, pro- arguably the best movie like of a lot of his stuff, especially um, a lot of his like adventure films. I, I like Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and and, yeah. and I and I do like Clash of the Titans. It's it's corny, but I like there's it. amazing shit in Clash of the mm. Titans, but I think Jason the Argonauts tells its story better. That, that's fair. Yeah. All right, and we got two left. So what's I, your what's your first runner left. up? Uh, my 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 first runner up is the Graboids. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't make a list without including the Graboids I'm from the so movie glad Tremors. You did. I felt guilty for leaving him. So <laughs> oh, glad you left him off. Okay. Yeah. Graboids, uh, one of the one of the greatest. I, I got a lot of films from the '90s here. Um, 
Uh, Graboids is a great monster film from the 90s. Uh, it was not ignored, but not a huge hit for a while, but it's it's yeah. been rescued. A lot of people was, really, really it was, love It was more now. successful on home video, and yeah. it started aired on TV that's, a lot. That's when I saw it was when yeah. it came out on home video. But yeah, it stars uh, f- uh, f- Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon as these two guys who live in a, a little... It's not even a town. It's just like a, a couple of people who live near each other. Yeah, it's in in the desert in Nevada. Yeah, it's it's basically the, a gas station and a, and cha- a gift shop and yeah. a gift shop and a couple of people who live around it who just don't like being around a lot of people. Yeah, that's and, basically it. And and Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward are like the the maintenance guys. They drive a yeah. sewage truck. Uh, there's like, a the total population yeah. of this town is probably like twelve. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a mom raising her daughter. There's yeah. the guy who runs the. The, the daughter shop is the girl and, from Jurassic Park. Yeah, uh, her name is Ariana Richards. I don't Thank know, you. I don't know why I have that her name in my head, but um, mm. uh, and then of course there's the Gummers, the survivalists who who live in a bunker up on the hill, played by the yeah. amazing Michael Gross. And in the original, she's not in any of the sequels, sadly. Mm. But Reba McIntyre, mm. who's really good in this. And Michael Gross, by the way, who became the spirit of the series, is yeah. just one of the great horror movie characters. Yeah. Fred Ward came back for one movie, but Michael Gross was in all of them to date, mm. and he just took over the franchise as this survivalist who, it turns out, was... It's actually kind of a decent guy. Like, like yeah. <laughs> probably not your ideal dinner guest, but he's exactly who you want around when giant subterranean pre-Cambrian monsters yeah, are attacking. Like- these ain't, so yeah, the, the plot of Tremors is people start to go missing. Uh, cars are dragged like into pits under the ground. What is going on here? And they discover that these gigantic, like 100 foot long subterranean creatures can sort of swim through dirt. And they have these little tendrils that can reach up out of the ground and grab you. And they can, they're blind, yeah. but they can, like worms, s- yeah. yeah, but they can sense uh, vibration. So if yeah. you walk on the ground, they can hear you. So someone read Dune. It's, it's a, it's, well, it's, it's a monster movie combined with the floor is lava essentially. And, uh, <laughs> It's a really kind of a fun idea, and it is a really neat movie. Uh, yeah. The original movie was directed by a guy named Ron Underwood, who did a few pretty good movies. It did uh, Heart and Souls, Heart and which Souls is really is good. Heart and Souls is a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, and and, uh, oh, and, the and of course, are, uh, 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 um, The Adventures of Pluto and Nash. You know, I'll I'll defend that movie to a, to, to a limit. Uh, <laughs> to a very... Very small limit, I assume. I, I might be the like the biggest booster of the Adventures of Pluto Nash on the planet. The production—I'll say this—the production designers yeah. deserve all the credit in the world. They, they did a heck the, of a the lot. Production of, designers of production were great in that movie. No one else. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> it's not a good film. I, I watched that movie. I like. I never saw it, and then like 20 years after it came out, I was like, "Let's finally watch this. How bad can it possibly be?" Turns out pretty bad. Pretty bad. All right, all pretty, right. pretty, just not very good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not passionate about it. I wasn't mad at it. I'm just like, this just doesn't work, does it? I don't think it's as bad as its reputation, because its reputation is like one of the worst movies ever. Well, it's one of the biggest flops ever, that's which true. is why it has it, it was hugely expensive, and yeah, it didn't make any money. Yeah. Uh, another Ron Underwood joint. But, but um, yeah. the Graboids uh, in that first movie are scary enough. Just yeah. these giant subterranean monsters that kind of reach out with tentacles, and you don't get to see them because they're underground. So yeah. it, it takes a while to sort of reveal what they actually look like, how big they are. Uh, as we go into the sequels, we learn that they have this really interesting, like, reproductive cycle mm-hmm. where uh, rather than mating, they just sort of, like, beach themselves. They go up on top of land and then they just sort of explode open and little velociraptors come out. Yeah, like little baby graboids yeah. with legs. And uh, those actually, uh, they, like, see an infrared yeah, now. 
so yeah, now now the game is we have to hide our heat signatures from yeah. these creatures. And also, if they every time they eat, they asexually reproduce more. Yeah. So it's really really dangerous to have them around for any length of time. And then and then they and then they <laughs> mutate at some point in their adolescence and turn into what they decide to call ass blasters. Which they're weird. They're weirdly committed to all. What are the what are the second ones? Uh, shriekers. Oh, shriekers. Shriekers yeah. is the is uh, the, the little walking guys. Little walking guys. And then lastly, it's ass blasters and. That's a stupid joke, and frankly, I would have vetoed that. Can we come up with anything better? But the idea well, and is... The, and, but they, they bring that up constantly. They're called ass blasters. I don't like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, we say that in dialogue. We really didn't have... To, like, there's, they repeatedly joke about how they're not called tremors, but like they, they repeatedly say, like, we, we really didn't have to call them that. Anyway, um, but uh, the whole thing with ass blasters is that basically uh, they have uh, gas that are inside of them, and then they can actually, like have a system of ignition that lights the gas and then they fly in the air and then they glide. Yeah. So it's basically, it's kind of like they fart themselves high into the sky. It's like a dragon, but in reverse. There you go. (laughs) They they, they essentially, yeah, they breathe blasts of fire out of their butts and And that sends them into the air and then they glide after that. Um, Uh, That's very stupid. actually. (laughs) What I appreciate about the, the, the graboids though, is that they just committed to this. Like how, how strange can we make these monsters? And it's enough that they were able to get seven movies and a TV series out of it. And you know what? They're all pretty good. They're all pretty good. Yeah, some are better than I, others. I, think, they, they I hit... think five and six are a little bit of a slump, but yeah. I, I think the seventh one is okay. It's got, Richard, it's got Richard Brake in it. and, and uh, Seven yeah. one's okay. I feel like... I feel More like than... six, six for me is the nadir, just because they set it up as... It's going to be like Graboids in the snow, and then they clearly shot in a place that was supposed to be snowy, and then it wasn't. <laughs> like, it, it did, there was no snow for their shooting yeah, schedule, so that, it was just kind of cold. That one doesn't work at all, but I, I, will, I think the first four are a really, really great watch, in particular. Mm. Uh, even, even four, which ends up being like this really cheap prequel set in the Old West. That but movie's yeah, the, fun. The heart and soul of the whole series, though, is Michael Gross as as Burt Gummer, and Burt Gummer is just such a wonderful character, and he is yeah. in all of them. He was committed to this series. He loves Burt Gummer. Michael Gross is great in the role. He's so fun. It, it it's just Burt Gummer and the Graboids is just what such a wonderful dynamic. No. He's he's the only one who really understands these monsters, understands how dangerous they are, but he's not ever a wounded character. He's actually very take charge. He's very confident, mm. but he's never the leader of the group. There's always some leader that he always defers to. Yeah. So I love that he he has a lot of knowledge, but he knows that he's also not the one to, to take command. Yeah. He's 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 so the soldier. He's, he's, he's he needs he's to take sol- orders. He needs which to, means like, yeah. that by necessity, all of these Tremors movies tend to have to have a really interesting ensemble of characters. Yeah. It's never just Burt Gummer. So yeah. no matter what movie you're in, even the bad ones, do tend to have a lot of characters with some personality to them. Yeah. No, I like, so I love the way yeah. these films are written in terms of character. No, I love them. I love them to pieces. And uh, you and I are both big boosters of the Tremors series. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned it. And I honestly can't tell you why it didn't make my top 10. Uh, other than this is a really difficult list. Of yeah. Monsters that I really, really love. And I kind of suspected you put it on there, so I, I gambled and I okay. okay yeah. All right, uh, my number my number two, and we're at the point now where it's like, look, it, it, again, as we've said before, when we do these lists, they're not really ranked. Our number one is our number one because we feel like that means something, but mm. everything else, it's just nine recommendations. Yeah, yeah, they're all. We want you to see all these movies. They're all great, but for me, my number two is usually something where, okay, in all seriousness, it's time to buckle down. Mm. And let's talk about, like, the all-time greats. And so, for me, my number two 
is John Carpenter's The Thing. And this is the one where I'm actually very specifically not including the original, okay. The Thing from Another World, which is a good movie. It's fine, yeah. I like that movie a lot, The Thing from Another World. And they're both about uh, a uh, group of uh, people stationed in, in the original, I think it's the Arctic, and in the uh, remake, it's the Antarctic. Um, but uh, they're trapped in a research station in the middle of the snow. They find an alien spacecraft buried in the snow. It's been here for God knows how long. And they end up bringing forth out of it and dethawing uh, an alien that starts killing them. The original is really, really good. The remake by John Carpenter, not the other one, the remake by John Carpenter, is one it's of the okay. great horror it's, movies. It's okay. Fuck you. It's one of the great <laughs> horror movies. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons why it's one of the great horror movies is because of the monster. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different factors here. One is an interesting choice that John Carpenter and uh, his, his crew made, uh, which is that there would be no women in this movie. Now, normally that would be absolute bullshit. In the case of the thing, it actually heightens the drama because this is all macho bullshit guys. There's yeah. no voice of reason. The closest voice of reason is is Kurt Russell, and he's just laconic. Like that's as close <laughs> as we get. Like that's that's it. He's just a little bit more patient than everyone else, but that's it. Um, this is all a bunch of like heightened dude bro manic energy. Then they mm. just start playing off of each other, there's and it a, keeps accelerating the situation and making it worse and worse. So that there, fits. There's technically one female presence, not even a character, just mm-hmm. a female presence in the movie. It's the computer. It's man. the voice of the computer. Yeah. That Kurt Russell destroys in <laughs> right at the, the beginning. Fir- right at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. He's playing yeah. chess with the computer. The computer wins and he opens up the computer and pours like whiskey inside of it yeah. and he loses the chess game. Um, That's what they think of female presence in this universe. But in any case, they're, uh, they're, with, without going into unnecessary detail, their station is infected by uh, an alien and this alien has no distinct form. Like it's not a gray. Mm. It's not a xenomorph. Uh, it is capable of impersonating any life form, but it also has written into its DNA all the life forms it's ever been. So when you catch it mid-transformation or if it's not bothering to pretend to be another person, it can look like anything. Mm. Oftentimes in horror movies, they say that what you don't see is scarier than what you do because your imagination is working over time. John Carpenter throws that out the fucking window in the thing because her whole raison d'etre is we're going to show you the weirdest, wildest, scariest shit you have ever seen. Mm. And in the thing, I think they capitalize on that promise. Everything from that weird glob of transmogrifying dogs to the world's greatest defibrillator sequence <laughs> to the head that walks around on its own. Like every single creature effect in this movie is not only phenomenal but unlike anything that had ever been seen. Mm. And to this day, even though a lot of people have tried to replicate it, I don't think anyone's done a good job. Like, yeah, there's really... like Leviathan comes pretty close. Leviathan is the thing underwater. Mm. And it's pretty good. And I like that movie a lot. That's the closest I've seen to like a proper successor to the thing. But man, the John Carpenter's The Thing is just yeah. monster effects heaven. Some of the best monster effects in cinema history. Yeah. I feel like I don't need to talk about it. Yeah, it's it's, it's a bit it's, of a cliche, but it, yeah. it needs to be said. It can't, I, I feel like I feel like I, I couldn't leave this. One I off suppose the list. I didn't even put it on my runners up just because yeah. you, you know the thing. And yeah, I give yeah. bonus points for originality, uh, and for this one, I had to put it. Yeah, on. I, I, in fact, it's I feel like the thing is like running the risk of being overexposed. Yeah. Like it's it's to be being talked 
talked about too much. It's still a good film, but yeah, yeah I, don't no, think, I, don't, I don't think I don't is, think we need to bring it up so much anymore. No, I think uh, I think it's one of those ones where it's just legitimately that good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of those things where you know you could argue that it's talked about too much, but I think when the movie really holds up, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this isn't one of the ones where, like that that prequel slash quasi remake. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's sullied it. It's just a shitty movie. It's not. It's not like it's not like there were other movies that like all of a sudden made the thing from the thing like cuddly or more relatable and like and like undermined the scares of the original film. The original film was untouched by what has happened to it in the sense. So I think it's that prequel Coom remake uh, from. I think it was 2011. That one came out. Yeah, Um, with Joel Edgerton and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, and which is it's. It's set in the same world and it leads into the events of the John Carpenter yeah, it's, film. It's about what happened to the station that was initially attacked by yeah. the thing before the one we saw, which is but not the, a bad premise, honestly. Like, but the, the story beats are identical. identical. Yeah, it's the same. It's pretty much the same the script. Same so, fucking yeah. movie. It's so annoying. It, it's so yeah. It's, it's there's it doesn't no, add up. There's anything. no scares. Yeah, uh, really and work. there was a bit of controversy because uh, in that film the special effects were all done with CG. Yeah, it, they decided to make it with CGI, and that was. But didn't they initially try of, to do it practical? And they did. There was yeah. They they actually got some like really talented special effects technicians to try to recreate the 1982 experience. So having these really impressive practical effects and evidently they did make some pretty impressive effects. I think you can find some outtakes online yeah. of, of what the original monsters looked like, but, but they ended then, up doing CG anyway. I, I think, uh, it, it Partly a time thing, and partly because I think some of the producers just didn't like it. They wanted yeah. they wanted a CGI monster, so that's what they got. It looks, and does not look good. I, I, it looks fine. The special <laughs> effects are fine, but you know they're I, not I they're not this, impressive I, at all. I don't think the, the C- that's the thing. Yeah. I don't think the CG is effective. I don't think yeah. it works. Um, anyway, but yeah, it's just a which, which is which is ironic movie. because that's the sort of thing that John Carpenter would have made with CGI he had he had that tool. Yeah. Uh, because it is this shapeless, amorphous thing, yeah. and CGI is very good at that. Yeah. Creating that sort John, of thing. John Carpenter isn't really a purist in a lot of ways. I guess, oh no, he doesn't like, give a damn. Yeah. Like widescreen. I think that's like one thing mm. he's really adamant about. But like other than that, you know, work with whatever. Yeah. <laughs> give him whatever he wants. Like, ooh, I'll try that. What, what is filmmaking to you? You put the camera in a place. Yeah. Shoot the scene. Yeah, I mean, he worked with CGI. He was in yeah. Memoirs of an Invisible Man and shit. Like, yeah, you know, this, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, so uh, um, we're we're down to your number one. My number one, uh, and this is this is an obvious one. I bet you can probably guess what I am. But uh, it's a Godzilla. It, it's it's Japan's bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Japan had a lot of problems in the sixties and seventies. I know because I watched Godzilla movies, and. Uh, <laughs> evidently, there were monsters coming around all the time in Japan. <laughs> And you know what you need when monsters are always coming around on uh, in, in your country is you need a bouncer. And, and luckily they had Godzilla. And uh, I'm specifically the, the Showa era of Godzilla. That's my favorite Godzilla. Yeah. As, you know, the guy in the suit. Not a great not a great articulation on that suit in a lot of no, movies. But very charming. Yeah, the, the eyes swiveled in weird ways. But yeah, so, some of the design is really great. Sometimes it just looks like... Look. You, you, see, sometimes like, you sometimes... see a monster like smashing buildings and Godzilla shows up with this expression on his face like... The fuck, really? Yeah. We're doing this now? All right. The old school Godzilla suits, the Mm. newer ones are actually pretty impressive, but the old school Godzilla suits, Mm. like, there's this mentality to a lot of monster movies and, like, visual effects movies for many, many years until we started getting to, like, Star Wars level of realism, where they were just like, listen, we will get you 70% of the way there. But you, the audience, are responsible for the other 30%. You need to meet us the rest of the way. You need to agree to to just let us have this, okay? Because if you aren't willing to accept that Godzilla is real, 
we have nothing to show you. So <laughs> we'll get you 70% of the way there. Well, here's the Bring thing. a little bit of magic and imagination of your own, please. That imagination is the important part. I agree. I don't care if Godzilla's real. Yeah. This, this whole idea that we need to make Godzilla look kind of realistic is mm-hmm. pretty absurd. And yeah. unfortunately, when they, they started making Godzilla in CG and they actually like could give him gravity and weight and a lot more detail, it's like, well, but now he looks, now he looks silly. <laughs> But before, when he was when you know he was swallowing a tree that uh, King Kong was forcibly shoving down his throat, <laughs> that that looked more natural to me in this weird sort of way. It's just these yeah. guys in these rubber suits. Yeah, uh, Godzilla in CGI didn't really work for me until I saw Shin Godzilla when they yeah. kind of like turned Godzilla back into this kind of scary, uncontrollable animal creature yeah. like it wasn't an intelligence anymore i haven't seen i say he the, the no, yeah. he I, she it, I, I haven't it is. i haven't seen i haven't to be fair i haven't seen like most of them. i've seen quite a few godzilla movies mm-hmm. but there's so many i haven't seen most of them uh to me uh the original gojira which is not mm-hmm. the american version but the japanese version is the ultimate godzilla movie mm-hmm. uh it's the one where godzilla is exactly what godzilla is meant to be which is an allegory a scary mm-hmm. Uh, representation of uh, nuclear holocaust, basically. Not, not even a representation. It's, it's literalization. No, it's literal. In, well, in, in I mean, the movie, he's, he's still a giant monster. We create, don't have those. Created so, by yeah. a nuclear bomb. And yeah, it's what, just sort of the, yeah. a literal consequence of nuclear testing. I guess. Fair and, enough. And, and, and the, the, you know, the bomb that was yeah. uh, just sort of still lingering in the national consciousness. And for me, the, the number two is Shin Godzilla, which is mm. sort of Godzilla as a natural disaster. Yeah. Uh, and it's more, uh, more Fukushima than, than Yeah, and it's such, a fucking, bomb. it's such a fucking great movie. I love Shin Godzilla <laughs> Shin so Godzilla is really, really good. And I like a lot of the other Godzillas, which is why Godzilla mm. was my number one, Yay! but it was a tie. Okay. Because for me, mm. they're not inextricably linked, but I see them as two sides of the same coin. Godzilla and King Kong, I think, are the two great (laughs) cinematic monsters uh, because, again, they really only exist in cinema. Like, Mm -hmm. I, 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 the Boris Carlos Frankenstein monster has poetry to him that, like, most other movie monsters, even the ones on my list, don't have. Mm -hmm. All the credit in the world. Nosferatu, same thing. But those were, like, based off of pre existing creations. Those were Dracula. Those are Frankenstein. Those are like the Godzilla and King Kong are uniquely movie monsters. Yeah. And I give a little bonus point to that. I think Godzilla is very, very much a product of the 1950s. If you had done Godzilla before that, he'd just be a dinosaur walking around. Mm. Like he, he, he springs in the nuclear era. And Godzilla, part, uh, sorry, and King Kong, partly because of his creation as a stop motion animation uh, creature, uh, but also as a movie, which, and I've, Come around to this, and I really do love this and uh, uh, aspects of it. The original King Kong, flawed in many, many ways, but it's a fascinating movie about movies. Mm. It is a movie about spectacle filmmaking. It is a movie about how the camera can be used to dehumanize, and how the camera can be used to exploit, yeah. and how people who and I don't know if the filmmakers were in any way conscious of this or if they were doing it subconsciously and just revealing things about themselves that they should be embarrassed by. But it was directed by people who had experience with like safari movies, where people would like go to different you know uh, different parts of the world, and they would shoot people doing things like hunting and they would kill animals and stuff. And it's basically about the animal. That was was entertainment. That was considered entertainment. It's fucked up. And it's about the animal getting personality. It's about the animal being humanized. Hmm. And King Kong is, again, he's not just a giant ape. He's a gargantuan 
ape. He's well beyond the realm of plausibility, which is why I, I'm allowing this one giant animal mm. to be in the in the monster list. Um, but King Kong is a, a thinking creature. He's not, you know, astute, but he has a personality. He has feelings, and he evokes our sympathy in a way that I think elevates King Kong above a lot of other monster movies. Mm. Um, it's not beauty that killed the beast. It was exploitation that killed the beast. Yeah. And there's something really potent about that. So I think King Kong is this interesting kind of meta narrative about giant monsters. Whereas the original Gojira is using a giant monster to discuss something more on the world stage. Mm. And I consider them just, again, they're not too, they're not they're not like the same thing. They're not mirrors of each other, but to me, they're kind of linked. They're just these ultimate cinematic monsters. Well, they're just, they're, and they did meet in a film in the '60s, and then yeah. again just this year in, yeah. in another film where uh, the two two creatures got to battle battle yeah. it out. And uh, neither film was particularly good. I love the '62 movie. No, it, it's just it's silly and fun, and I love it. There's um, a couple of things I like about yeah. it, but no, I'm not. A, also, I think it ends just like it kind of forgets to have an ending. <laughs> it's like, oh, by the way, I guess Godzilla won. No, uh, really? Godzilla didn't win. Godzilla was stomped. Into I, mean, the I, mean, I mean, I guess King Kong won. Basically, yeah. it just feels like it King Kong won. It feels like everyone gave gives up about halfway into Godzilla the, the fight. Godzilla stomps or King Kong stomps Godzilla into the ground and then just swims away. <laughs> yeah, King Kong's like, well, I guess my job is done. Did you finish the job, Kong? Nope. No, I don't care. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic in this version. Yes so weird oh, <laughs> they, 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 they tempt an alcoholic king kong with booze yeah to force him to fight it's pretty sick it's not it's not my favorite godzilla movie or my favorite kong movie um mm. but uh, in any case i'm a fan um the original king kong is where it's at i i, I like peter jackson's kong more than most i think the actual yeah, yeah, yeah. ironically i think the longer director's cut has better pacing than the <laughs> theatrical right. one just i just think it, i just think it actually moves from plot point to plot point more organically so you don't feel the length it's still longer than it needs to be, obviously. Yeah. But like, I think the director's cut's actually where it's at. But um, and then uh, Kong Skull Island's cool. It, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's, it's cool. Got, it's got some f- fun other creatures yeah. in it. It's yeah. got it's uh, a good. It's a good like, three star monster movie. I like it a lot. Giant bug stuff. Yeah. Some f- fun seventies needle yeah. drops. And then we reviewed uh, Godzilla versus Kong earlier this mm. year, and I think we were both a little disappointed in it. it just yeah, didn't really make the most of the the very flimsy premise. Like they 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 try to make it silly, but it never feels silly. Well, they try to make it complicated, like, which is completely yeah. unnecessary. Kong meets Godzilla. They fight. <laughs> I don't need a lot more than that. I, I I do appreciate some of like the more ridiculous like Saturday morning cartoon aspects and the, the King Ghidorah head, yeah, yeah. Like well, we we've created a King Ghidorah head machine, uh, and <laughs> we and also there's a hole there's a hole in the middle of the Earth, and there's this magical portal that takes us there, so we don't have to travel all the way to the middle of the Earth where King Kong gets a magic axe and he uses the magic axe <laughs> and. And luckily, the magic axe can deflect Godzilla breath, so it's a good thing yeah. he had it. You know, like that ridiculous stuff. I think they could have rolled with that a little bit more, maybe, rather than trying to make it seem like legitimate fucking plot points. I know, I know, I, I can't. Yeah, yeah it didn't work. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I think Godzilla is the greatest movie monster, but I think King Kong is tied. Okay. Uh, but uh, that is those are our lists. Uh, uh, real fast for people who uh, want a quick uh, uh, reminder. We're going to run through our full list, then we're going to do our runners-up. We're going to spend a lot of time on our runners-up, but I'm sure we both have some. Mm-hmm. So uh, my list of the greatest movie monsters, uh, in no particular order until we get to number one, uh, The Resurrected, This Island Earth, The Fly, both versions, 
Legend, Nightbreed, mm. Society, The Blob, both versions, Jason and the Argonauts, The Thing, Just John Carpenter's, and Godzilla and King Kong. Mm. And then Whitney's was Captain EO, Communion, Little Shop of Horrors, Just the Musical, Hellraiser 2, Nightbreed, Freaked, Jacob's Ladder, Gremlins 2, especially the Spider Gremlin, uh, Tremors, and Godzilla. Yeah. All right. Now I assume you have a few runners up. So yeah, absolutely. Um, very quickly, and I'll just yeah b- burn make, through make these. Make as quick as My voice is kind of going. Um, yeah, we're almost done here. Uh, this is one that I'm just particularly fond of just because of the, the circumstances under which I uh, originally saw it, but I'm very fond of the film The Relic uh, from 1997, and the monster in therein is called a Cathoga, and I like the Cathoga. Yeah, I'm not a fan, but okay. Um, if we're talking about giant monsters, Gamera fought a big knife. <laughs> Uh, and, the, and the big knife was called Giron, and I, I think Giron is just a wonderfully absurd creature. Um, whatever that gigantic uh, stories tall four legged tentacle monster from the mist was. Oh, that thing was cool. <laughs> that thing yeah, was pretty granted, cool. Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Uh, the the movie stinks, but the Dark Overlords from Howard the Duck are awesome monsters. That almost made me run yeah, I'm actually um, glad you mentioned it because that I, that thing looks cool. That's it, a great stop motion monster. It's a cool looking monster. Um, yeah. Darkness from Legend is on my runners up. Uh, the Creature from the Black Lagoon is one of those iconic movie. Monsters great design. That I, like. I, I don't find the character very interesting, but the it's, design it's really, is amazing. It's not a character; it's a fish. Well, you know but, what yeah. I mean? Like the, you don't really get a lot out of the fish, other uh, than he's just a fish monster. I, but like I, 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 the design is amazing. I, I, I remember watching the, the special features on the DVD and interviewing people about the creature and how a lot of people just like the design i like yeah. the design uh and they're trying to like put some meaning into the movie when really it's just a creature feature yeah uh there's not a lot of meaning to the creature I mean, from Black Lagoon other than you know sort of despoiling the natural world i feel like they could have gone further with that yeah. and made it about something a bit more but ultimately it's just there's we're stuck in this lagoon and there's a creature here yeah. it's from here mm. And, 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 and evolved here, and there's parts of the world yeah. we don't understand. And, it's, uh, it's pretty thin, but it's, it's a it's, good movie. I like that. But uh, the, in, in that documentary, they're saying, and oh yes, and, and the creature from the Black Lagoon actually um, uh, represents human sexuality in some way. I was like, mm, that, that's you're really reaching. That's uh, thin. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're just like you're just like watching the woman in her swimsuit. That's yeah. that's what's really going on. Yeah. Um, a monster that was born of revenge, Pumpkinhead, uh, Ooh, that's is a, good is a really pick, yeah. cool creature. Uh, yeah, the, the the alien from the movie Alien. Yeah, uh, I'm very fond of a, a really bizarre film that Don Coscarelli made called John Dies at the End. Oh yeah, uh, there's a meat. You talking about the meat and, monster? And, the, and yeah, there's a, there's a monster made of meat products. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Look, and it's only in one scene, but it's really awesome. Uh, the design on the Krampus from the movie Krampus is really terrifying. Yeah. That's cool. It's like this big monster in a Santa mask. It's a good pet. That's uh, a good pick. The Vermithrax pejorative yes. from Dragon Slayer is a really is yeah. It's one of the only dragons I've liked in a movie. It's it's serious. I still think it's the a number one best yeah. dragon we've ever had in a movie by far. Uh, the robot monster, <laughs> ro- ro- <laughs> Roman is is it's like so shitty that I have to include it. You have to respect it. It's like it's one it's one step above a guy with a paper bag over. His head. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like they, they put no. It's like a gorilla suit and a diving bell, and that's it. And it's like. It's the goofiest looking thing, and yet somehow it's like, like we, latches onto your brain. Whole movie built around shit we found at a rummage sale, more or less. <laughs> And, and yet it's like one of the saddest movies. It's actually weirdly poignant I really, in a weird I really way. Love Robot I, I've come to I've come around to it. I really yeah, okay. it, yeah. Uh the the mugwumps from Naked Lunch are really terrifying Ooh, that's hallucinatory good monsters. That's a good pick. Uh, the killer clowns from outer space. Nice. And um whatever that thing was from the keep. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that weird thing. That That's big, a, that big weird looking yeah, skull. Terrible monster. movie, but it's a cool. Yeah, the, the movie's not good, yeah. but the monster looks kind of neat. All right, uh, let's see who I got here. I had Nosferatu. Talked about that already in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Frankenstein monster, Boris Karloff version in particular. I couldn't decide if Cesare from uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari was a monster or not. No, yeah, I, I figured I, he I kind of psychic so. powers, but yeah, I figured I figured uh, honorable mention is noteworthy, creepy, whatever. Uh, the uh, oil slick from Creepshow Two, <laughs> good choice. That that <laughs> in Creepshow Two. Not particularly good, but that one bit, the raft, is mm. really scary. That bit always got me when I was a kid. Uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Um, another one I couldn't quite decide if he counted or not. I think he does. The Tall Man from Phantasm. We'll run the topic of Don Coscarelli. Mm. No. Because he's, he's an alien, though. I mean, he's, kind of. But he looks like a person. The, but I'll, well, look like isn't. Okay, whatever. I'll let it. I'll, anyway, yeah. just, the reason why I didn't make my list. Maybe, maybe um, those, like, it's like little yeah. hench creatures. Those those, yeah. are, those are more monsters. All right, here we go. Uh, Gremlins. Got those. All right. uh, the Baby from Eraserhead. <laughs> I'm stand that by yeah. that. Uh, Bub from Day of the Dead, as I mentioned. Uh, Tremors, Alien, Predator. Uh, what we got here? Rempathex Pejorative. Audrey 2. Uh, oh, uh, the uh, Psychic Monster from Forbidden Planet. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which the, I think is, is the, kind of riding the edge of real and not real, but I, I, I love it, and we do get a good look at it. It's a nice, scary monster. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, what's the, what's the, what's, the, oh, shit. Belial from Basket Case. Oh, there you go. Yeah, great monster. Oh. Uh, let's see. Uh, it, it, <clears throat> a bit of a tie between uh, the... The man on the wing of the plane in Twilight Zone the movie, and that one weird fucked up rabbit monster from Twilight Zone the movie. Oh god, that thing was scary. And that thing's scary. Holy, it's only in there for a second, but like it's really fucking mm. freaky. Uh, Torgo. <laughs> Torgo's not a monster. Torgo, it's got big <laughs> knees. Go with it. Uh, from Monos, the Hands of Fate. You got to appreciate a movie that is shitty as Monos, the Hands of Fate. Where one of the characters become iconic. I know it's because of MST3K, but most MST3K movies do not become iconic. No. Torgo deserves some fucking credit. <laughs> Seriously. I need, I need to sit down and try to watch it for to real. To watch Manos the Hands of Fate without the, the commentary. Because it's hard it's, enough it's, with the commentary. It's not recommended. No. Yeah. Um, Torgo is supposed to be a satyr. Yeah. I, I learned, why he, learned that after the he fact. He doesn't have he, big knees. His knees supposed to bend back the other way. Yeah, he's supposed to have like egg. goat legs, but it ended up looking like he just had like throw pillars shoved down the front of well, his. It pants. Also, doesn't help that like the bottom of his feet are covered by the MST three K shit. The, yeah, well, yeah. I don't think they gave him hooves though. I think they no. Gave him I'm shoes. just saying it. It just adds to the, make it look yeah. like he's wearing slacks. Remake but. that. You're gonna remake ba- remake yeah. horror movies. Remake bad horror movies. I make dare them good. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, so here's an interesting one where uh, there's a the original is better than the remake. The remake's okay, but the remake has better monsters, mm. and that's Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Oh, I haven't seen either version. Uh, ma- Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, amazing TV movie about a woman uh, who's a, who's a housewife, and uh, she is convinced that there are little monsters in her apartment. Uh, that are tormenting her, and her husband doesn't believe her, and it's this whole feminist allegory thing um, about just men disregard the concerns of women. Uh, but the actual monsters, it's kind of like uh, Terror at 20,000 Feet. This, the monsters themselves just don't look that great. Uh-huh. They remade it around like 2010 with like Katie Holmes and Guy Pierce. Uh, the remake's okay, but the original film just does the story better. But the monsters in the remake are fucking awesome. Like, they're really cool. So, kudos to that. So, like, if, if, you would have the good monsters in the good movie. That definitely would have made my top ten. Mm. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's one where we talked about robots. The Terminator. I think the original Terminator is a monster. 
Yeah, especially when like all his flesh gets melted off yeah. and he's just sort of a robot. And the thing. first movie, I think the Terminator qualifies as a monster. Yeah. Certainly, certainly framed like a monster movie. Uh, here's here's a big asterisk next to it: the deleted ending from Watcher in the Woods. Oh, where you actually get to see the creature. Yeah, the, yeah. the so-called Watcher that we've been like peering through their eyes as they float through the woods. In the deleted endings, you actually see the thing. It looks amazing. It is this really awesome. Mo- I don't it's, know why they cut it. I don't understand. It's so fucking weird. Yeah, I don't. They just should have left in the weird stuff. Really should have committed to it. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, the Giver, uh, the Rancor from Return of the Jedi, the the, the giant creature, the giant yeah. lizard monster in Jabba's palace. Oh, th- that's my favorite part. Yeah, that thing's cool, hmm. right? That thing kicks ass. So kudos to to that. I, I and think, then I think I've said this on the show before, but. Um, I, I did see Return of the Jedi when I was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out uh, when I was five, and uh, evidently my parents took me to it. But I don't remember the movie other than the the monster. Yeah. And not the scene where the monster's alive. But, but where the, it dies and is sad. Where, where it's died, and yeah, like there's like a handler or its owner like comes mm-hmm. out and cries. That's the only scene I remember yeah. from, from seeing that film as a child. I don't remember Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker or any of the other stuff. Just but I remember, I remember the, the, the sad... Uh, yeah, monster owner. <laughs> that, that's the memory I have of Return of the Jedi. And then the, the most recent, I think it's the most recent one on my list, mm. uh, is a movie that other people like more than I do. I'm, I'm a little distracted by how derivative it feels from other films. Mm. But this one bit is fucking freaky. Uh, the Screaming Bear from Annihilation. <laughs> that, I, I love Annihilation. That, I think it's really good. I probably would have rewatched. I think the endings, I think not the ending, but like the climax with like the whole mirror creature yeah. thing that thing's fucking amazing uh and that I, I don't know if that's a monster or not but it's really fucking cool but that bear in annihilation is scary <laughs> as fuck yeah that bear is great yeah that's a great addition to the monster canon so that is the iron list for this month thank you everybody for listening uh, if you want to vote for next month's iron list you can head on over to our patreon patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network uh in a couple of days we're going to post uh the next poll and the next poll consists of the following the best movies of 1996 that's 25 years ago uh the best classic literature movies movies that are based on classic novels and i'm going to call it right now we already did william shakespeare can't be shakespeare fair yeah i I know they're not novels but you know what i mean classic Mm. lit you you take a classic lit class they they might throw in shakespeare novel novella play short stories play i'm even even play i'm gonna say probably not i think it needs to be literature but whatever we'll talk that's only if that's only if it wins there's there's other nominees uh the best robot movies (laughs) movies about robots or by robots i guess i don't know how many there are robot involved yeah Robot adjacent. Movies that are about the concept of robotics. Uh, the best grindhouse movies. And by that, we don't mean the Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez film and its offshoots like Copa with a Shotgun and Machete. We mean the original grindhouse wave of cult and exploitation cinema, largely in the 1970s. That, that's that's what we refer to when we say grind. That's what we're so, talking yeah. about. So when we talk about, that's what you're voting for if you vote mm-hmm. for best grindhouse movies. We're talking about like... Movies from the 70s largely falling in the action or horror mm. or uh, erotic thriller ex- exploitation genres. Uh, and then finally, for our last pick, uh, because we gave you a month off, uh, if you would choose, we could also do the best movies that begin with the letter D. <laughs> We've done A, B, and C. We will keep going until you stop voting for it. 
or until we're done, basically. And then after we get through the letter Z, the best movies that start with the number one. What? I don't know. There's 1492, the... Conquest Paradise. That starts with the number one. We're not doing it. <laughs> 101 Dalmatians? Come on. Stop. Stop. We're not, right. not going to do that one. No. We're going to do the letters and that's it. Uh, <laughs> but we'll keep going until we're done with the alphabet or until you... Well, we'll keep putting on the list, but you never have to vote for it. All right, so that's it. You go to patreon.com. Even $1 a month, you get to vote for the Iron List and other podcasts on our network. You also get uh, our current podcast, Holy Batman. We're reviewing every single episode of Batman from the 1960s. You also get Backlog. Uh, uh, episodes, including our uh, podcast about every episode of Firefly. Mm-hmm. It's all available there. And at other tiers, you get uh, podcasts about movies that are not on Disney+, Plus but should be. We get a podcast where we're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek in production order. You get a podcast where we're reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We're a little late on that one this month again, but we'll get to it soon. We also do commentary tracks. We're going to have to try to record this one soon because it's a monster. This month's commentary track is Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. It's so damn long, it might be a little late. But we're going to work on it. We're going to try to get it done in time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're very, very excited for that. Thank you, everybody who supports the show. Especially thank you to big all of, uh, especially a big thank you to all of our patrons, without whom this show and all of our other shows just wouldn't be possible. We couldn't do it. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It means a lot to us that you're supporting us on this journey. Yeah, and, absolutely. And we hope absolutely. you're enjoying the shows that we're making. Um if you want to uh, uh, join the conversation, there's a lot of different ways to do it. You can follow us on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. You're also welcome to send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, in particular, given the topic, uh, the subject of this podcast, uh, if there's something you feel that we missed, didn't mention uh, it at all. How dare you not bring up Vexpires? Yeah, l- l- let us know. Like, If there's something that, like, oh, crap, we like totally missed like one of the best monsters ever. Hmm. It's happened. Yeah. I've been, we've had people come in it's like we missed this I'm like oh shit we did yeah that was a good one yeah you, you missed Cthulhu well it hasn't been a good Cthulhu movie yet no but, um, not yet but like there's bound to be something so if mm. you want to you want to give a shout out to your favorite movie monsters especially if we didn't mention them feel free to email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net we also have a snail mail address it's a P.O. box that's right because uh, not most people you know aren't really invested in it but we do have some people who said they want us to send us like a proper like handwritten letter or some people have actually wanted to send us like packages or movies stuff we can review on our shows um and we're very very grateful for that and if you want to do so our p.o box is uh it's uh critically acclaimed network p.o box 641565 um i'll have to come up with some sort of mnemonic device for that 641565 los angeles california 90064 and we'd love to hear from you, but no pressure. That's just for people who have expressed interest or feel are feeling saucy today. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, and of course, uh, Salt Cat Soap is the uh, soap store run by myself and M. Lapis da Silva. Head on over uh, to Etsy. Look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. Salt Cat Soap is also on Twitter and Instagram. We've got a lot of exciting soap designs for you. Uh, make great gifts. Treat yourself. Uh, they're really, really nice soaps. Uh, I've I've actually got a couple of uh, uh, no, I got one cool design that I designed. That's yeah. coming up in the next batch, which should be debuting uh, on the first Saturday of June. Uh, and we've got some other uh, exciting products that'll be debuting then as well. Mm-hmm. But until then, we still have a lot of cool stuff, and there is a bit of a sale on a few items until May thirty first. If you want to check that out, uh, so that is it. I think that's everything. That's everything. I think we're good. That's the list. Thank you.